Ladies and gentlemen, Legionnaires, welcome to another fun-filled adventure at the Legion of Myth. This week on RPG Digest, we're going to talk about some tabletop role-playing games, some opinions, some commentary, and of course, at the end, you can come in and talk about, well, what we've talked about. Give us your opinion. We want to know it. And today with me is Duncan, Idaho. Duncan, say hello to everybody. Hello, hello. I have wandered in from the wasteland, and yeah. I've totally not killed Max Liao and hollowed his body out for shelter. Taking his shirt. <laughs> yes. So where is a trophy? It is a trophy. At least it's not ears, right? We're good. Yeah. yeah. I'm civilized I'm to that extent. <laughs> and of course, happy Easter to everyone. Uh, Indigo Dragon didn't even know it was Easter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark, for letting us all know. <laughs> uh, I hope everyone uh, was able to at least call their families or will so after this uh, after this broadcast. Not now. Watch this first. <laughs> then call your family. It's fine. We come first. <laughs> there it is. You had your chance. Now you're stuck with us. <laughs> Indigo says, hello, Max Liao replacement. Yay. <laughs> Duncan's here for a very special uh, reason. Because uh, I did a year, year and a half ago, maybe even two years ago. I'm not even sure. Damn. We're probably two years. Yeah, probably around two years now. I, I did a I did a review of the Star Trek Adventures, and uh, I was not impressed, but I had not played the game. Duncan has played the game for around a year, over a year? Uh, over a year now. We over started, a year started, now. We started at the start of shutdown. Okay. So year and a half, about. Uh, you're in a month or so. You're in a month? Okay. So uh, he has some uh, player knowledge, a lot of player knowledge, <laughs> and we'll see if uh, if my opinions of the game uh, hold water. That's what we're going to do for our segment one. For our segment two, we are going to talk about some uh, uh, a controversy, uh, two styles of game mastering, sandbox style and structured style. And I'm going to give examples that are extreme. I understand that most people are going to fall in the middle. I'm going to tell you where I fall. Duncan's going to tell you where where he where he falls, and you, of course, can chime in and tell us where you fall on the spectrum of gaming. And then after that, of course, we're going to open up to the peanut gallery. You can come in. All you need is a mic. Join up. All that good stuff. But before we get into that, we're going to go into the obvious branding that we have to do. I mean, this is, that's just what it is, right? Obvious branding. And of course, you know, you're going to want to subscribe for the subscribe! obvious branding. Subscribe for the obvious branding. <laughs> <laughs> and here's our branding. Left side, you will see all of our social media. If you want to get in contact with us, you want to talk to us directly, have questions, or just, uh, you know, chat with our community, the Discord is the way to go. This is a new link. The, the other link, if you have another link that is not this, for some reason, it will kick you after like eight minutes. I don't know why. No one knows why. It's a, it's, a, it's a universe thing. Use this link and you'll be fine. And of course, you know, Twitter, if you find something on Twitter that you find good, you find bad, or you find weird, go ahead and tweet it to us. We'll see it. And uh, if you want to support us, you do subscribe star. That's nice too. And of course, Redbubble. Red bubble, that's where all the stuff is. That's where all the stuff I'm I'm where I'm wearing right. Look, look, red bubble. This right here, red bubble. Uh that shirt, I think, I think my shirt and Duncan's shirt have been retired. Those were 
the, those are old shirts. We got we have we have new shirts now. So you know, get get all that. But I wanted my I wanted my heathen dog shirt. I wanted I, I loved it. I keep it. I keep it. I keep it forever. And of course, we want to thank all of our monetary backers, our Twitch subscribers, cheers, uh, YouTube members, super chatters, subscribe star backers, streamlabs, and PayPal donators. That's awesome. Thank you very much. It helps us uh, get more books to review more stuff. We so we can buy it. Maybe so you will too, or maybe so you don't have to. And of course, if you don't want to give, that's fine. We also love our Twitch followers, our YouTube subscribers, chatters and lurkers, especially chatters. Say your piece, man. We want to hear it. But if for some reason, which I can't fathom, you don't want to give us money. Number one, try that thought process again. Number two, if you still come to that wrong result, then please give to the Wounded Warrior Project. It helps veterans who've come back with, uh, with problems, TBIs missing limbs, emotional issues to help them reintegrate into society, to help them become productive members of, of basically normal life. So help them. And of course, if you're watching on Twitch, you can hover over the screen and see our friends of the channel and check them out. And if you follow them, tell them that the Legion of Myth sent you. And of course, we're going to talk about RP gate. Uh, this is the this is the mantra we use when you are thinking about joining, running, or even, well, reading about an RPG. It is about escapism, not representation. Entertainment over activism and organic diversity from natural inclusion. And just in case it gets bad from here on out, here's a disclaimer. All opinions belong to the individual speaker and do not represent the Legion myth organization. Hyperbole, satire, stereotypes, generalizations, and assumptions are often and intentionally used for simplicity and or effect. Content is not meant for children under the age of 13. So if you're under 13, you have to watch with your parents or not watch at all. <laughs> That's basically it. So like, uh, like, like it was uh, like Mark told us in chat. Oh, Bruce, Bruce Lombardo. Super chat. Thank you. Can't stay, but have a great day and buy some good coffee. Thank you very much, Bruce. We appreciate it. And like I was saying, as Mark said earlier, happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter to everyone. Hope you're having a good time. Hope you called your parents. <laughs> oh, look at this shameless plug. This episode will not be as watched because I'm not on it. Crafty, <laughs> you son Aww. of a bitch. But it's okay because he donated twenty five dollars, so he gets to say whatever he wants. He gets to talk shit. Hey. <laughs> and Noro says happy Easter as well. Thank you, Noro. Appreciate it. So this week, um, I was playing uh, with uh, with uh, other uh, legionnaires. Uh, City of Villains. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if a lot of you know, but uh, there was a game, City of Heroes, came out, what, 17 years ago? Or more? It's an old game. It's an old game. And uh, someone leaked the code, and now there are a bunch of public servers that, that could, the, the Korean NCSoft, which still owns the IP, allows to go on as long as the people who run the servers do not make any money off of their IP. So they, they run all their machines off of donations and they have to close their donations when they, when they reach the point where they pay everyone a fair wage. 
and for the equipment and maintenance and whatever. So they're trying to stay legal, all that good stuff. So we're playing that and we are having a blast. It's on Twitch on Thursdays and Saturday nights. Check it out. If you, if you want to see some of the past clips, they're also on Twitch. Just go to the collections, look up city of villains and you'll find it. We, we chose villains because it's more fun. It's more fun. Being a hero is exhausting. Saving everyone all the time. It's so much easier to just let them die or just kill them outright. Yeah. And villain, you get to be your own boss, set your own, uh, set your own schedule. If you exactly, don't want to go right? super villaining today, you don't have to go out today. Yeah. That you no more, no constant calls from the mayor. No, 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 uh, hero symbol from the chief of police. Nothing like that. If you want to go out and rampage, you go out and rampage. You want to go to, to Morocco for a week as a vacation. No one is stopping you and guilt. That's somebody else's problem. Just had the thought of uh, super uh, superheroes basically being gig workers without a contract. What's that? Just all our superheroes are gig workers without a contract. So all the responsibility, expectation, no pay. It's just like, hey, go out and do our work for us. It's like, well, you could develop like super robots to deal with these problems. Nope, we've got you, Superman. Yep. Get get back to work. There you go. And uh, Indigo Dragon says, very cool. NC Soft is allowing that to happen. Yes, it is very cool. And I hope they, they continue to uh, to do that. And Crafty also asks, uh, does Duncan have a battle pug? No, he has a battle tardigrade. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, battle pug, or like in what context? I mean, I've got a battle cat right here, but... <laughs> he has He's a battle tardigrade. <laughs> yeah. No, I literally do have... I had a battle tardigrade in Starting Adventures. But that's, again, me getting into the piss-taking stage of creative writing for there you uh, Star Trek stuff, so... We'll get to that. So, Duncan, what have you done this week? Uh, work. What kind of work? Uh, Let everyone know what you do. Uh, PhD work. So right now I'm doing a PhD in paleontology uh, and doing uh, work associated with that. So today has been my off day, which has consisted of waking up, doing the stream, and then planning on playing the Outriders demo after this. Okay, Outriders. So, Tell everyone about that. So Outriders is a game from People Can Fly. So the studio who did Bulletstorm, so, uh, or yeah, Bulletstorm back in the Xbox 360, uh, high octane uh, um, action combat. And they're basically doing a kind of a Mass Effect style RPG. It's not a live service game, but it's basically you are a group of colonists who go to a planet, you know, out there for exploration, and then your shit gets royally messed up. So then you wake up 30 years later after being given superpowers, and then it's like, okay, now we got to make sense of this world after everyone's basically gone feral, and there's guns everywhere. So it's kind of like Gears of War meets Borderlands. It's kind of the overall style. Okay. And um, yeah, I'm interested because it's a classic, you know, single-player-ish uh, shooter with some co-op elements. And it's like, yeah, that's right up my boat. And I mean, the art direction's fine it's a little generic to the sort of the post uh, post apocalypse but it's like yeah all right give it a shot see how fun it is because yeah i think right. that's the main selling points of combat loop well let us know on discord what you think of the demo later on That'd yep be good. yep all right so let's jump in to what we are going to talk about today and that is do 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 where is my picture 
I had a picture that I was going to display. And for some reason, I, I put it up last night, but it's not there. Ooh. It, oh, there it is. There it is. Aha. This, this next intro is for the YouTube segment. So people on Twitch, just uh, calm down. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the RPG Digest. Today, we are going to be talking about Star Trek Adventures. More importantly, we are going to have a contrasting and comparing uh, discussion. We're going to talk about what uh, what I thought of a book, having been a non-player, and we're going to talk to a player to see how it actually plays. And the player is Duncan Idaho. Duncan, say hello to all the fine people again. Hello, hello, all you fine people out there in the internet. All right. There that it is. was not a lie. That was not a lie. It's fine. <laughs> all, all the people on the internet are fine. All right. Now, so Star Trek Adventures, if you are not familiar with it, it is a role-playing game uh, based on the uh, 2D20 system, lo loosely based on the 2D20 system, and uh, it is based in the Star Trek IP. You can... Uh, you can play in the TOS, the original series. You can play in TNG. You you can play uh, um, in uh, what do you call it? You can play in uh, Enterprise era. Yeah, it's the TOS and the TNG are the two big ones. Um, yes. I think they've got some stuff for Enterprise. They did. and they recently came out with a Klingon core book uh, as well. Yes, that was one thing that a lot of people had a, had a problem with. I didn't have a problem with it, but uh, the the game is set up for you to play federation characters it is possible yeah in the base game to play a non-federation character but the book doesn't discourage it outright but it does discourage it infers yeah. a discouragement yeah and altogether, it's we can get into it but it basically it's easiest if you're playing to um basically what you think of as kind of a stereotype of uh star trek characters Yes. Um, so if you want to go beyond that, it's easy to homebrew, but you do have to sort of waive the rules a little bit, especially when, like, if you want to create another a species that's not included in that list, mm -hmm. it's basically, it's like, okay, now get creative, put the traits together. So you're going outside the rules, so that might upset some people, but at the same time, it's flexible enough where you can have a little bit of that modularity. Right. And uh, Indigo Dragon says, you can play Klingons in the Klingon Empire Core rulebook. Yes, but, but when I did my original... Uh, my, my original uh, review of the book, it was just the book. It was just the main yeah. book. So yeah, Klingon, Klingons just came out, uh, yeah. as far as I know. So, And then He the Dog's original review was like two years yeah, ago. Yeah, like two years ago when, when, when this came out, and I actually did a review on it. And we're going we're gonna to look at the problems I had with the book. All right? And then we're going to ask Duncan Idaho, does this get fixed in-game? Is this mitigated somehow, or am I just making shit up and it just <laughs> didn't exist anywhere except in the square foot between my ears? Let's find out. First, this is why I quit trying to make sense of the system. This is, this is after ground combat. This is why I stopped, because the book sucks. It is poorly written extremely hard to follow the index is next to useless the index itself does not point you to any inf to any useful information it won't point you to a chart it won't point you to a table if you have a specific problem the index is not your answer 
All right. And the narrative style, the, the, the way it explains the rules, it doesn't explain it in a straightforward uh, technical manual type style like most RPGs do. It explains it as if you're being told the system by a, by a superior officer. So it's, it's more like the book is discussing the rules with you instead of telling you the rules. And I had problems with that. So I'm going to ask Duncan, Duncan, uh, part one of this, uh, the index and finding information quickly is, yeah. did you find that to be a problem? And if so, how did you, how did you get around it? Or did you just get used to it? Uh, get used to it. I mean, it's a brute force technique where it is difficult to, yeah, like I've got the PDF and it is difficult to find whatever you want. Cause I, from what I recall using the index, it probably points you to a general section and yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't give you that specific like answer unless you're familiar with where it is in that section. So in general for an index on a specific topic, it doesn't work too well, but with familiarity, it kind of washes out a little bit to the point where you just kind of just brute force it. But even then that's not a, great thing for this kind of uh, source material. And then, yeah, for the explanations, my solution has been have someone who intimately knows the rules, who's playing the game, and can basically tell everyone what they should be doing when it's like, hey, we need to make a combat roll with this type of equipment against this type of enemy. And it's like, yep, I'm just going to sit back. Okay, so actually, uh, funny enough, I, I rewatched my, my, my initial video. And I said just that to play this game properly, you're going to have to find someone who already knows how to play mm -hmm. to teach you how to play. Yeah. It's and that's apparently what, what happened with Duncan Idaho. We we will we will explain that more in a minute. But my next problem with the book was the black pages. Black so pages should, with white lettering. You should get the book out at this point. I am going to show people this book. This is a $60 book. 60 plus dollar book. Okay. Now I'm going to open it up and I'm going to show you this book in several angles. This is going to be a random page. I have no idea what page I'm going to open up. They're all the same. Okay. Uh, can, can you see the lens flare? Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me angle it this way. Oh crap. Can you see? Oh shit. Okay. Let me angle it. Let me, oh shit. Okay. Angle it, angle it up. Okay. Oh, 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 there you go. Now you can read it. And if I angle it straight on, oh, no, lens flare, angle it down. Okay. okay. So you have to read the book like, like that or like that. Any, I have one, two, three, I have four different light sources in this room. If you're outside, have fun because this thing is basically unreadable. You have to read it on a cloudy day. Yes. Yes. Outside. If, if you have a light source in your room, it's all, it's all, it's all bad. It's, yeah. it's disgusting. Ah, Indigo Dragon says they fixed the color issue with the Klingon, which is white paper with black ink. <laughs> that, yeah. funnily enough, is exactly what they did with the PDF, which, interestingly enough, is the exact opposite they should have done. You know what? I get why they did this. This is the the Elcar's format, right? They wanted to stick with the TNG Elcar's format for stylistic reasons. I get it. But for a physical copy, 
white pages and black lettering are less strain on the eyes, easier to read. On a screen, this black page with white lettering is beautiful, beautiful on the eyes, but mm -hmm. they didn't do it with the PDF. In the PDF, it's white pages with black lettering, which is the opposite of what you should have done. So, so they boneheaded it two ways. Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, they would have had both copies. It's basically, it's like, okay, which one do we send to print? And it just, they switched the two around. And I would really appreciate to have the white on the white on black for the PDF, because especially if you're reading it like on a tablet, it's the full Star Trek experience. It's the, yeah. I've got a data pad, I'm going through exactly. this. And it yeah. sort of makes it more immersive. Whereas the PDF as it is now, it feels just like a kind of like an afterthought reference material. Whereas if it was a book, I'd appreciate that more because it's like, hey, this is like a textbook. And then I can sort of get into it with that mode. So yeah, that is just, I still think that's baffling i mean it basically i've got the pdf it works well enough but it's not something i really get into like i don't go there just to read some of the supplementary material or really get into the narration of it it's just basically there in case i forget something or need to look up what a certain trait does which is <laughs> a little ridiculous but um yeah yeah, yeah uh, uh keldon storm says lens flare is consistent with the abrams verse i actually joked with uh, with duncan before the stream that uh that apparently uh whoever whoever uh did the did the uh, typesetting and co and copywriting for this book was a was a 2009 Star Trek Abrams fan because hey let, let's give everyone lens flare which you That's can't really do because it's the it's set in the TNG in the prime timeline so I don't think they've got any of the ship set up for the um the the Kelvin verse so it's like no no it, you're right you're right it's just the idea of no matter you know the, it's in, in 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 the 2009 Star Trek movie everywhere on the bridge there was a lens flare somewhere. So everywhere on this page, yeah. there's the lens flare somewhere. That's what I'm what, saying. And yeah. another thing that, that I didn't know in my original review, because I had just gotten the book, it had just come out, is the book is also poorly made. This is a 60 plus dollar book. I expect it to, to be for me to read it for a week and then put it on a shelf for two years and have it not break down. This is, this is what's going on with the book. If you can see the pages, they are now not aligned. This this was on a shelf, okay, in between other books. This this was not just hanging out in some crooked area or or poorly managed or anything like that. And if you see the spine, you see the spine is coming apart. This book was not abused at all. This book was kept and in, in it, the only thing I didn't do is keep it in a in a in a burlap bag wrapped in cellophane with, with, with desiccant inside. That's the only way I could have treated this book better and it's already falling apart. So yeah, this, the, the, the book's content, the way they made the content, the way they even made the book, I have problems with, and that yeah. it's just, it's just bad now. Yeah. So if you get into it, go for the PDF at this point, because yeah, just, yeah, it, the yeah, only way you can really have that quick access. Yeah, Crafty has, you know, honestly, what the F do companies keep making RPG or reference ma manuals with glossy pages? Flat pages are better for reading and referencing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Matte, matte type pages, much, much better. Coriolis and Alien have black pages with white text. Again, this is, uh, this is a stylistic choice. Great for PDFs, bad for actual physical copies. These people have to learn that have to learn that now I'm going to uh stop sharing my screen for a second 
So I can go to, I want to talk to you about problems I had with the system, the system itself. Okay, so the, the D20 system, we are going to talk about just a little bit in case anyone is not familiar. Tell us how these, this uh, 2D20 system works. Is that a command to me? Yes. Okay. So for any given role, you've got your kind of your uh, skill and then you are separate into two categories where it's like reason, um, <clears throat> presence, control, fitness, that type of stuff. Okay. So wait, hang on. Let's, let's even break down even further. You're talking about an attribute plus a learned skill yeah. together equals what? It equals your target number, which you have to roll for in order to succeed. You have to roll under or equal to. Okay. So that is your threshold for success. And you roll yeah. two, two D20s. So you can yeah. possibly get two successes normally. I mean, there, there, there are situations where you roll less and more D20, yeah. obviously. But that's the basic two D20 system. Okay. Yep. So, you know, uh, mo most, most times you only require one success to succeed at a task. If a task is especially difficult or it, or it's a task over time, then you will, you will need, uh, to make more than one success over maybe even over successive rounds to, yeah. to finish a task. A, okay. Great. Um, a, D a DM can also, um, even raise that more and force players like, okay, this is basically impossible to do this. You need three or four successes, in which case you need to get additional dice either from people assisting you or other mechanics in order to, uh, get that role. I haven't seen that so much, uh, once or twice, but it is an option where you DM could basically say, uh, if you want to go for this shoot, but you're going to have to basically roll like a genie. Okay. Now, an another thing that is special about, I don't know if it's special about this with, with a D with a two D 20 systems, uh, crafty can tell me if this is in Conan as well, but, uh, the idea of momentum, if you get more successes than is required to perform a task, you get a, you get a, a token or a point of momentum that can be shared with your entire group. And if your group needs to make some kind of exceptional or, or an automatic success with, with a role that's very difficult, they can take that momentum token or point away from the pool to give themselves an extra D20 to roll on their next task, which I thought was an interesting mechanic because it carries over scene to scene. But the the uh, the 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 pool, I believe, is supposed to decrease by one if you leave a scene. Yeah. So we uh, we haven't played by that rule. Basically, we handle it episode by episode because we're like we got a big group, so we're switching between scenes all the time. Okay. Like, and usually it's sort of like a smooth transition if we're going from one place to another. So mm -hmm. we don't have our, our the way our DM uh, sets it up. It's it doesn't lend itself well to that rule. So we <laughs> homebrew and like yeah, it's it's we just have a pool to keep track of over the course of the full episode um but yeah it, it's i like this mechanic so you can go on but we can discuss how it works in practice okay okay yeah yeah uh, uh how it works in practice uh what is the uh the the one problem that 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 i that i foresaw 
with this. I didn't gripe about it too much, but because it could be a problem, but I didn't know because I hadn't played. So I'm going to ask you because you have played. Can the momentum pool get too big? No, it's capped at five. It's capped at five. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. So, and that works because you, at a certain point, you're going to start using it because it's like, well, we're just going to get momentum burn off. But then at the same time, you're also having to think about what does my DM have in mind for the next task that we need to perform? So it actually works out to be, this is probably the most engaging mechanic when it comes to a player in just how to balance out strategically what you're doing besides like the overall narrative, but just in the mechanics itself, you're always looking at, if you get a great role, it's like, hey, we got some momentum. And then it's like, okay, we got a bad situation. We can either try to get an advance on it or use a momentum, uh, it costs two to re-roll a dice. Mm-hmm. So it comes up as your sort of your moment to moment resource that you're spending the most time sort of focusing on as a player in terms of what you have equipped because your equipment, all that type of stuff, your inventory doesn't really change that much unless you're in a much more sort of engaging scenario. Like for us, we don't really do too much with that. It's more of less a narrative thing. But I mean, the momentum mechanic, I think, is probably out of combined with how the 2D, uh, how the skills and attributes work for the 2D20 system. And this, I think this is probably the highlight of uh, playing this game versus others because it does build in mechanically that that sense of investment, payoff, risk, return, that type of stuff. Okay, uh, Indigo Dragon says the momentum in the book apparently is captured. Ah, I'm going to get my after my DM for that because we've okay. been using five. And uh, Crafty says uh, momentum and threat slash doom, which we're going to get to threat in a second, is hugely important in in, in uh, Conan. So it is it is uh, per- pervasive in other 2D20 systems as well, which is good to know. Good to know. Now the whole threat thing. Um, this is the game master's version of momentum. All right. Now the 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 uh, the game master gains threat by uh, one of one of the ways is uh, players can buy a point of momentum by giving the game master a point of threat. Mm-hmm. Now, how how other how other ways can uh, has your game master gotten threat? Uh, they start out with a certain uh, certain pool based on the number of players, and because we're a large group. He's got a lot of threat to play with. So he's usually using what he's got at the start of the episode and then uh, uh, measuring that out over the course of things. We haven't, we have spent a little bit of threat for some momentum uh, uh, in a few situations, but that's typically how we're running is just sort of the base level of threat um, for a situation. Okay. So he starts off, uh, your, your game master starts off with a threat, like what one threat per player or I think it's one or two threat per people playing. And then, yeah, it's something like that. I think it's two threat per player. So he ends up with like, since it's like five or six players uh, in a game, he ends up with he ends like up with ten or twelve. Right. Yeah. So it's okay. so he's perfectly fine because he's gonna th- he's really strategic with how he throws in threat. So he'll like use it when he really wants to make it hurt, and he'll pile it on for a given situation. So he's gonna spend like four or five threat at once rather than just like metering out one or two here because that doesn't really do a whole lot because you're only moving the uh target or the complication range a little bit but he he has a tendency of just piling in the threat and then it creates a really dramatic moment okay yeah that and that's exactly what what threat is for and that's great now i'm going to circle back to this 
a little later, this whole like spending four or five threat at once that, that, that should make a very dangerous situation. Yeah. It should make a very dangerous situation, but in your experience playing this year and over a year, how many times has any of your characters been in a situation where they could have died? Uh, I think three. One right now in our current game. Actually, no. In our current game, everyone could potentially die because our ship is going to have its ass handed to itself. Um, so we're sort of we're ramping up uh, up right there. But we've been in a situation where, and it's through really big, not like you know over the course of a scenario you're losing health and then you're at a certain point. But it's usually a big dramatic moment where it's like, yeah, this person just got assimilated by the Borg. Good luck getting him back. It's that type of scenario where we fully expected one of these characters to die. And then we just pulled a rabbit out of our hat with the rolls. I'm like, oh, nope, he's good. Okay. So, so uh, how, how, how many times has, has, has anyone in your game actually taken damage? Uh, I think uh, two or three, but that's kind of, that's on us for our focus. So this is going to be the most variable component because your DM can be a lot more active. We do a lot of, exploration and sort of investigation and kind of like what you would almost say truck should be where we're trying to figure things out we're working with people so a lot of our situations are sort of at the edge of combat where if it goes a certain way we will get into a fight but we're usually good at finding a way around that but then other dms are going to be able to say okay no you're just in a firefight with the klingons right now good luck and then if you get into that situation you're probably going to take some damage but it's just for our style of gameplay drama and just how we like to roll with stuff. We're usually not, we usually try to find a side path around that as mm -hmm. a group. And that's what you have when you have a bunch of scientist characters on a ship and no one really doing the strong tactical role where we don't have the wharf saying, I will just shoot this thing. I was thinking about playing that role, but then they, they shanghaied me into being the captain. Okay. Oh, and that, that's, that's another question I want to ask you. That's another problem I thought of uh, when I was, when I was uh, role-playing the game. Uh, the game allows one of the players to be the captain of the ship. And I foresaw problems with this yeah, because so I don't know a lot of groups who will, un unless they universally vote this person to be the captain... To, to follow the the Star Trek lore, which even you know barring barring uh, the, the 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 equinox in, uh, in Voyager uh, is pretty strict. Even even on Enterprise, which was the loosest of them, yeah, no one no one was going to tell the captain he was full of shit on the bridge. No one was yeah. going to do that. Okay, so if the captain gave an order, you followed it. If you didn't follow it get the get out you're in the brick yeah you know? so, so uh, how how did that work with you being the captain how does that change the dynamic with you and the group so what you need for this type of situation is someone who is naturally like the ringleader so for a lot of the stuff i'm kind of taking on a producer role with trying to get people to schedule uh if there's a guest coming on i'm usually the person to sort of directly interface with them so mm -hmm. and that this kind of carries on from a little bit of foundry roundtable where I just sort of take that natural organizational role and I'm not like putting my own like 
I like I'm not treating this as like if I was a tactical officer, like we should do this. I'm naturally like listening to players, what's the best option? And then I make a decision and then we go based on that decision. So it actually works as a healthy crew dynamic um, in a lot of these situations because I'm like, I do have that ultimate say, but I'm also listening through people around me and trying to find the legitimately best idea possible. There are disagreements and I had to put someone like, no, we are not going to basically ram an Orion uh, war barge by getting into their warp field and hoping that we can outslug them at point blank. I actually had to say, no, we're not going to do that. And it disappointed that player a little bit, but it's like we, for all of that going on, we also have a lot more collaboration and cooperation. So you need the right player in this role. If you do not have this uh, player in your group, you will need to, the DM needs to take on the captain role because okay. this could go bad, but if you have a natural, like a group dynamic can naturally lend to this situation playing out, but you need to have someone that's not going to just like use orders just to get their own way. And that's you just need you need someone like that captain. You have to be really careful with who you put into that, because and this kind of goes with a natural captain role. Because if you screw that up, you're going to get a bad a bad dynamic. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what I was worried about. Um. You 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 got around that just just by having the right group. Yeah. But if you have the wrong group, then then having someone be the captain is a horrible idea. Yeah. So you need to really, if you're setting this up, you need to really think about your crew roles. And then mm -hmm. take that captain decision, sort of like what you do last. So you have all your ducks in a row. You've got all your characters. And then it's like, okay, what are the dynamics? Who's first officer, second officer? And we've had a little bit of uh, like we, a little bit of uncertainty of like the, the chain of command, I think, is probably what's a little bit in. I don't know if this is in the group, uh, but like in the book, but we've kind of handled it. Like we've got a second officer, third officer, fourth officer, and we kind of have a little bit of a hierarchy there. That I think can introduce more problems because then you start getting into these differentials, like especially with like rank, like a commander and a lieutenant character. I think that is a little bit more problematic. So it's kind of like you also want your like the rest of your players to the same rank. So you don't have people like taking a differential and just like automatically think they can gain say someone else. Well, there there is uh, a lot of precedent for uh uh, people of lower rank but higher position mm -hmm. in a situation to 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 have to have command over yeah. over the someone who like for for example um, if there is a uh, an ensign who is a bridge officer mm -hmm. and a lieutenant who is not and the lieutenant is on the bridge the ensign has command the ensign mm -hmm. is the bridge officer yeah. So, so it, you know, in situations like that, there's already uh, based on 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 TNG at the very least, where uh, it you know a lower ranking officer, mm -hmm. depending on, upon their 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 duty role, mm -hmm. will have command over a higher ranking officer. Yeah, it's the player to player command when you're dealing with a larger group because I think that could be more complicated to try to work out because now you got a big network rather than just a central figure and then just everyone else is sort of working around that. So now it's that I think for me personally, it's been a little bit harder to sort of wrangle around because you're having to think about all these, uh, like all these different dynamics. Like, okay, do I outrank this person? Do I outrank this person? If we're having a discussion, how much deference does my character need to put in this situation based on their role, based on like the, the entire structure there, rather than just like, hey, we're just crew members. We're going to work through this, yeah, you know, one person to another. We get in a lot of scenes, so it's like one of those things you have to have that careful balance of, like how far you take this sort of that programmatic chain of command 
versus the captain crew dynamic. Mm-hmm. So because it's just more complicated, especially if you're trying to work this in a game setting, you're doing this like once a month, once every two weeks, something like that. And you just want to get onto the fun of it. I'd think getting caught up on those ranks, if you have players that do that, is kind of like you just want them to stop. <laughs> get on with the fun. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So uh, an- another thing that I'm having trouble. Oh, there we go. Um dying in this game is hard mm-hmm. all right here uh here's an example i i tried to find the slide where where i'm talking about actually how to die uh crafty yeah. was, was saying earlier you want to die he i'm gonna put on the screen uh uh you want to take damage playing his uh conan to uh 2d20 game they die a lot in star trek adventures i don't know how it is in conan we will find out because because Crafty's going to talk about Conan on on the show later on this month, but uh, dying in in Star Trek Adventures is difficult. Here here is from what I understand. Here are the steps that have to be taken. You have a certain amount of stress. This this is you're basically your hit points or your yeah. health. They call it stress. Fine, call it whatever you want. It is uh, an it is attribute plus skill. It is at is your your attribute is what fortitude? Yeah, or it's fitness. Fitness and then your security. Yeah, yeah, your security skill. Add those together. That is how much stress you can take before you take an automatic injury. Now there's caveats. If you take five or more stress in a single attack, you get an injury. If you are brought down to zero stress, you get an injury. Once you have an injury, if you get another injury, this is a life-threatening injury. If you take another injury, then you're dead. Yeah. So you literally need to take three injuries before you die. And tell me if I'm wrong here. Anyone can spend an action, go to somebody who's had an injury and say, hey, are you okay? Yeah, we haven't gotten to that point, but yeah, like you can have, you've got other people around you who can interfere, like you do first aid medicine, take care of stuff like that, stabilize you. So it is really hard to go, like with the natural mechanics, to die. I think it's easier to die through the course of narrative causality. Like your character is on an exploding ship and you decided to like stay behind. That I think is where a character is more likely to go. It's just they get into a situation where ship explodes. Okay, you take a billion damage. Something yeah, yeah like but you're that. just gonna die. Yeah, you're just you're just gonna die from that. So, that's that's catastrophic damage. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm, I'm I'm just talking about normal, you know, hand to hand, excuse me, phaser combat, disruptor combat, stuff like that. That's yeah. pretty much how it goes. Yeah, and this seems like it's 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 trying to like because like the whole Star Trek thing is like you're playing a character, you're gonna get emotionally invested in that character a little bit more than a lot of other games. Like mm-hmm. when we're doing the Call of Cthulhu game, it's like I'm gonna throw myself out of the car and explode. I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, um, it's a different mindset. Yeah, it's a different mindset. But you're you're especially if like playing it over a year, like a GM is basically not going to put you in a position to die. If like if you're got if you're got a you know that life threatening injury, they're not going to come out and it's like oh stab, just take you out because that's just a jerk move. Well, no, like, I mean gonna- it. it- I, I would give players a chance to save you, but if they oh, yeah. elected not to, or if they failed to, then that's what happens. You know, yeah, I mean, so it's 
it just like, comes down to the dice at some point. You know, yeah. If, if, if it doesn't come down to the dice, you're not role-playing your storytelling. Yeah. So that's kind of the thing where it's like, it comes down to the dice. It, it like, there's a tenuous connection that allows players to die as a result of the dice. I think they're trying to make it as weak as possible to emphasize the story or the role-playing, the storytelling. I think that is what the system is trying to go for. Okay. With so this overly complicated mechanic is just to try to find that balance. And they just put so many checkpoints along the way. So it technically exists that you can die as a result of dice rolls. Like if you fail bad enough, that can happen. But it's it's basically something that sort of exists, and you're pro like if that situation arises, you're probably having to go to the book or PDF to look up these mechanics because you just haven't used them like throughout the rest of the game. So yeah, it's uh, from from what I understand from uh, from from reading, I wish I could find it in the book, and I wish I could find it in the slide. But you literally. By, by if I remember correctly, by reading the book, if you take a million damage, you still can't die. Yeah, that's where you start doing the home rule, home bruise thing of just like yeah, er because the the rule is if you take five plus damage, you take an injury. an injury. If you are reduced to zero, you take an injury. So if you took a million damage, that's two injuries. You yeah, would you now have a lethal injury. And so, if you take another injury then you will die. But this was one attack. You yeah. cannot get two injuries oh, from one attack. So the way this, if you wanted to sort of rules lawyer it, the ship explodes, you take the explosion damage and now you're in the vacuum of space and then you, and take, then you take another one and then you die. Yes, that's how you yeah. do it. But if, uh, if, if you get, if you get stabbed in the heart, like, like, uh, like young Picard, yeah, you're just you're you, you took an injury from five plus damage, then you were reduced to zero stress, you took another injury, you now have a life-threatening injury. As long as someone is there to go, hey, hey, Picard, are you okay? You're gonna live. Yeah, it's it's that situation where you can't get one shotted out of something unless you already have an injury from something yeah. else. Yes. But even exactly. then, it's really hard to get an injury. We've taken a few points of stress damage through just basic combat, but especially with the D, uh, the 2D20 system on top of combat and what you can do as characters in this world, it's that situation of you're going through this and there's so many things that you can do to sort of sidestep like taking damage that you can avoid a lot of that. But that also depends on the GM. Right. So if you got a GM who really wants you to fight those uh, Klingons, you are ultimately going to fight those Klingons and go through this combat system. So it's one of those things where you can engage with it, but we found the most fun is really focusing more on this as sort of a soft uh, roleplay system. Okay, so right. we are going to segue into the damage system in a second, but Indigo Dragon has some help for you. On page 84 of the book, you can point to your GM that the you know uh, uh, if he argues the maximum pool being five, you can show him that it's actually six. I think we may have used like six at the start. It's just like we've been doing five recently, and I think we've also been getting the um, that like when you get momentum wrong because it's just been we've been playing a year. It's been so long since we actually went to the book, except we're trying to look up damage types like from certain weapons on certain ships and like focusing on ship combat and going to that. But yeah, it's sort of the basic stuff we can uh, tune up okay. a little bit. So that, that brings up uh, another problem with the system that I had. And we're going to add it to the stream right now. This is the damage uh, used in, in this system. And Crafty, he's not here anymore, but I, I, he will tell us if it's the same in, uh, in Conan as well. But 
Um, you use your 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 two d twenty to succeed or fail to attack someone, and then your weapon has a base damage mm -hmm. number of dice. For example, a type one phaser has damage of six. That's six dice of damage. You roll sixty six. Yeah, and then you you and then you look at this challenge dice result table. Now, Mo Modifius sells specialized dice to give you one, two, zero, or one plus effect. I hate specialized dice. I hate them. They're stupid. There's plenty of dice in the world already, asshole. <laughs> Just make your system to use some of them. Okay, subscribe. Yeah. Hang on. Subscribe. <laughs> All right, but this one it, it gives you it gives you the uh, the thing so let, let's say i roll uh two two three three two two three three four five okay so i got uh two 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 so that's four three three that's zero a four and a five that's a five plus an effect now that's five damage that i've done right to this person five yeah. damage plus whatever effect special effect my weapon has and for a phaser i forget what the special effect is uh for for a disruptor i believe it it uh, it, de it defeats armor yeah um for a a, a plasma weapon it causes some kind of dot or something i'm not sure i forget it's yeah. been two years since i read it but uh your your weapon be it uh phaser disruptor plasma a uh, knife, batleth, sword will have some kind of special effect. And if you roll a five or a six, you get to enact this special effect on top of your damage. Now, I thought this was clunky. I thought I thought that uh, that the special dice thing is stupid. Now you've been in combat before. Obviously, yeah. not not dangerous combat because you haven't taken much stress or injuries at all. Or yeah. well, none of your characters have been here death. So when you have been in combat, how has this mechanic been used? So it's basically, as you say, we do the uh, the D6s, get the effect, all that type of stuff. The effects haven't really come in too much just because, I mean, usually it's like, hey, we killed it. <laughs> um, but for how the system works, it's I think it's the least satisfying because you get like you do the like you do the role for doing the attack and then it's like okay you succeeded in that that now here is what you have going for the effect that did so you can get a huge you know big success hey i punched the guy in the face and then it's like okay now we have to deal with like these dice and i've never really liked this part of the system I think there's probably a much more elegant way of handling it and to connecting it because it seems like at this stage, it's just another luck element to on top of the luck element that you just had for whether or not your thing worked. And this is probably why we don't do that much combat is because we don't have faith that we will actually get through it because there's just so many of these like multiple rounds of probability going on. We have the probability. Well, now, to be fair, to be fair, I mean, in a lot of role-playing games, there is the dice roll element to hit, and then the yeah. dice roll element for the variable amount of damage. Now, it's, from where my experience in playing D and D, though, it's like if I'm a wizard and I I feel confident in doing my wizard stuff. In Star Trek Adventures, I don't feel confident. It in is entirely possible to do zero damage with an awesome hit. 
Yeah. And that's where I think it, there needs to like this like affects there just needs to be another way of working this out because I don't like the two, the, the 2d20 system. I like this mechanic. I don't really like because there's just so many dice you can really like it's like hit with a damn squib. And yeah, I, I, I want a different way or even just different types of dice, different mechanics for this. Even if it's another dice roll, maybe there's like a minimum threshold that you've hit. And then this is like the, effect, like the special effect. Like you get a certain amount of base damage for what you did in the initial roll, then here's y'all. You're basically your pinata time. Something right. like that would work out better because as it is, like I don't get into combat because I don't have that confidence as a character for for my sheet. And even doing something I'm competent at in combat, mm-hmm. I'm just working out where it's like, no, I'm gonna try to you know, and that's it gets into my character style. But because yeah, we can get into that a little bit later. But I'm usually trying to find a way around situations like this. And it, I think it extends to how this mechanic okay, works. Okay, so you actually actively avoid combat because you and your group do not like this challenge dice system. It's, yeah, it's like we don't have the confidence to do it, and we don't have characters that are really min-maxed, like, to really have the upper hand. We don't have someone who went pure, ta- like, I'm going to kick everyone's butt security. Okay, I think okay, hang on, hang on. We are going to circle back to that. Yeah, we, we are we are going to circle back to that. But first, I want to I want to ask you um, another problem that I, I that that I foresaw with the game. Mm-hmm. And if anyone wants to wants to uh, cite this, you can you can uh, look on YouTube, type in Legion of Myth, Star Trek Adventures, and you'll 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 hear me say this. The only way to learn this system is not to read the book. Mm-hmm. It's to learn it from someone who already knows it. Yeah. Now, that was my thought two years ago. And Duncan told me how his game is run, and I laughed out loud. Because Duncan, it is exactly that. How many game masters do you have? We have a DM who's in charge of the story, the flow, the sort of the ultimate decisions for that. And then we've got someone who's handling the rules. So we've so and it, it kind of like it works because we got a great storyteller for our DM. Sure. And then we've got someone who's great with the mechanics, but would be less good at running the full narrative. And they basically teamed up and sort of employed their skills to best effect. So it okay. runs really smoothly, but we I'm did sure have to learn it. I'm sure it does run really smoothly with, with double the game masters. But uh, the problem is, it seems like because you need an extra games master just for the end, that, that, that was for you, Grim, if you're watching, yeah. Games Master. Uh, if, if you need an, an, an extra games master just for the rules, that means teaching the rules to the players is difficult. Yeah, and that's where you really, it almost comes down to you, that extra, or that person who's the most familiar, like basically the person that you get on board who already knows mechanics and can teach everyone is also doing a lot of the, dis, like like he's doing the, like the bunch of most of the work in setting everything up. Mm-hmm. So looking at your stats, looking at your role, although our, our DM does like, he he's good at like the, the challenge stuff It's or the, the basic roles we've got down. It's whenever we get into combat, that's where we typically have our uh, other players, the rules DM, the rules DM uh, come in and sort of f- figure everything out because it's like, okay, we're attacking that ship with a phaser. What type of armor does it have? What type of ship does it have? Is it cat like, what's it's effectively it's tier versus us and that's where 
I mean, those situations work, but we're not using most of the mechanics when it comes to, like, spaceship combat, because that's just another level of, like... Okay, so uh, um, in in lieu of, of everyone learning the mechanics, which you can't, in my opinion, from the book, no. officially, and in lieu of the person who does know, which is the this uh, second game master, uh, teaching everyone... I so think they, so hang on hang on not on so 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 they they can participate themselves he's actually handling all of that behind the scenes based on the decisions you make he's he's making all the roles he's he's doing all the math and he's yeah. giving you a result well we're he tells us basically what to roll and then we roll it and usually we're pretty on board with most of this sort of the day-to-day stuff mm-hmm. but it's we don't understand the rules intimately enough to be able to handle the sort of the special case scenarios i think that's where we're at we're also kind of at the beginner level of understanding the mechanics You've been playing a year you should not be at the beginner level playing of well, understanding yeah, because at any point yeah, yeah because what we do is basically like and we just have this sort of this realm where we're like we don't like getting into that level of really deep mechanics. And that's where it's just the natural lean of the group. There's like three of us who could really get into that type of thing. But then some of the other players are a little bit are more into the storytelling aspect. And the way we've kind of run out or found our equilibrium is having this uh, just an RPG light style for how this works out and we can handle the day-to-day stuff like i can i know my roles but then it's like okay i'm attacking with a phaser i need help setting that up okay and i think All that's right. where you can that yeah, yeah. that I, I have a problem with that i me me personally uh if i were a player in that game i would want to know all of the mechanics be intimately familiar with all yeah. the mechanics. So I be, because if I'm not, I don't feel I could make an informed decision on what yeah. to do next. So it's kind of that thing where I think it's like the presentation of this versus other types of RPGs where call of Cthulhu. I had a really good handle like on game one. If I was going to attack someone, how does that work? Yeah. And that information is kind of there with the star Trek RPG, but it's pretty obscure. Yeah, I think it's hard to with, find. Like I said, the index, not a help. Yeah, and it's also just like even getting a handle of like what are the comp- consequences of this action, it's just naturally vague. And I think there's, it's one of those things where if you have players like that, I think we just don't have anyone that has that mentality of I need to understand everything before I do it. Because what we generally do is kind of like this is interesting or fun we're going to see if we can get it to work and then it either succeeds or fails. So we have okay. a little bit more now, of a go, go doing, doing that to me lends to uh, things happening that are disastrous. Like a, like a Tasha Yar situation, a Jadzia Dax situation or a uh, commander Tucker situation where uh, you, you, you don't un- understand what's, you don't fully understand the mechanics of everything that's happening, and then you could just die. Tasha so, Yar did, did not uh, did not understand that this that this tar beast could do one attack and do a billion damage, and then she just died. And then uh, um, Jadzia Dax did not understand that a pa wraith hitting her one time would just murder her. And so of course, that- but Commander Tucker understood that flooding an entire deck's electrical energy through his body would kill him. Now he did it anyway. Fuck him. Yeah. All right. Whatever. You know, like stuff like that. So 
if if, 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 is, if you don't understand the mechanics of the game, you can't stop stuff like that from happening. But the thing is, you can see those events happening narratively. So you can understand like, oh, I've got nothing. This is Max Liao, by the way. This isn't me. Oh. This is Max Liao. <laughs> yeah. So it's basically, that's the thing too, I would recommend it as. It's basically, it's an RPG light session for people who want to get into the creative activity and role play. It is really not good for the hardcore mechanics. I would recommend anything else, basically, if you really want to get into that, because okay. it's difficult to appreciate it. And you kind of get the sense if you're watching some of the more serious RPG channels, when they take an action, it does take them like a little while to work through all of the stuff that can apply. And usually it's coming to a grinding halt. Star Trek Adventures can be hella fun. It's basically a hangout bullshitting in a creative like writing sense. And there's certain aspects for me where I get a real kick out of that. Mm-hmm. But it's it doesn't give me the same sense of the mechanics like we're doing Call of Cthulhu, like I've had with D&D, of right. we're, like getting into that aspect, the sort of the game aspect of it. And it's really, I think, geared towards that storytelling aspect with how all complex, like these systems well, are. Well, hang on, hang on. No, no. You, from what I have gathered from you talking, your group has homebrewed this game to be more storyteller aspect than it than it's written. So to a limited extent, yes, but it's usually because we're, the biggest thing we're doing is just sort of naturally working through these, um, like basically the scenes. We're using the D20 system more than the D6 system. So that's the biggest thing we do that sort of departs from how you're supposed to work through this with, oh, I don't think there's many exceptions where we've really just said, no, that's just, we're not going to focus on that rule. It just, like a lot of this stuff just doesn't come up ever. And that's because like we think first to do second and we're usually like, oh yeah, we can totally pierce the, uh, we can totally do an amazing scan, find cloak ships, pierce their cloak, beam their commanders off. And then basically, hey, now we got to negotiate instead of okay. like getting into All combat. Right. So, so you actually actively avoid combat as, as fun or to stay away from combat? It's usually how, how for, much how much is that weighing on you? Yeah, so it's usually like it's that it's the concept of fun, but it's like because the mechanic like the combat mechanics are obtuse, they're not fun. It's more okay. fun All where right. you're going through like a rapid pace, like action, 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 action thing that happens. You might get into a little bit of combat, like a little bit, but usually it's like I'm gonna uh no, we'd actually no, I think the last time we're gonna get into combat this episode, but the last time we did it, um we replicated the episode Naked Now, where the entire crew gets drunk. Yeah. And I bum-rushed my uh, chief engineer and the entire engineering team after opening fire, after they were like having a birthday party in main engineering with like phasers on stun. So we got into the mechanics there, but usually it was like the fun part was the D20 system. And then it's like D6 system. Okay, yeah, I said through it, go through it. Okay, now we're back to fun. Okay. All right. So you you are at least most people are subconsciously avoiding combat just because they don't like the mechanic. I would say that consciously, consciously they're 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 saying that it's more fun avoiding combat be because it's more thrilling. It's more uh uh in yeah. it's, it's more pat on your back ingenuity type type thing. Yeah. It's and that's I think the way. It works because even when you get into combat, usually it's it's pretty equal because we don't have anyone that's super built for combat. Where and we don't have a ship, we don't have a warship, so it's not like 
we really have that much confidence in what we do. And our okay. our our DM, when we're getting into these combat situations, is always giving us support chips. So he's got the flexibility to still work to the end point of the scene within the limits of what we're doing. So he can play around with that, but he's got to engineer those scenarios because, again, we don't have that flexibility in where we want to go with an episode versus like when we're going through a you know, basically a set path with where he's uh, taking us through. Or it's like if the ship blows up, hey, that's a kind of a problem for <laughs> the evening, unless yeah, we want to do a time travel, now, like an immediate uh, time travel episode. Uh, and now, now, now I'm now is a time where I'm spinning back to uh, to uh, uh, you don't have any battle focused characters. You don't have any characters who are who yeah. are min maxed for battle, so you don't feel confident in the whole yeah. battle thing. Now I'm gonna sh I'm gonna show you the screen again. This is the character I made using the life path system. Yeah. Okay. And now, now, uh, now. Uh, to be fair, Dun Duncan said he made his character through the the online choice system. He didn't mm -hmm. do any random rolls. He he went th he went through the he he went through the life path options and chose which options to take. Yeah. I random rolled everything, and according to him, my character is well rounded, but is is pretty well suited for command and for combat. Yeah. So you're pretty close to where I ended up with your skill points. I did actually a little bit more min maxing, but away from security stuff and more towards command stuff. Cause I realized my character was not going to be in that like direct punch up type uh, situation. Like I'd be basically like Picard through the TNG series, not the TNG movies. You've got a great Riker here. Yeah. So that's what we've come to on yes. that point. So which is which is why I chose commander. Yeah. So I think this is where it kind of comes in with the the group of players is that we all did the choice system and we all ended up doing more science and engineering, con and medicine. And then a bit of command. No one's a really great fighter. And that's because we all like making our characters. We didn't have that player besides me, and I got put into the command position, who would take that role. So our like our chief tactical officer and security officer are NPCs. So our okay, DM so has had to supplement that. I, I I actually find that find that weird that uh, in in a group no one wanted to take the fighter role. You know. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like it because I, I think we're, strange. and it's just the way our group works is that we're all sort of more science engineering. Like with how we sort of latch on, I'm more tactical. And again, I got put into a situation, uh, put away from that. And then our, um, oh no, we do have someone that's good for combat, but space combat, because they're a really great con officer, but on the ground, they have a tendency of tripping over their own phaser or at least attempting to. All right, got it. So yeah, it's for the wharf or... Tasha Yar type character, that's what we don't really have. So we don't mm -hmm. have that voice in the group pushing us in that direction besides what our GM does because they've filled in those roles with NPCs so we can actually have away missions. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and not die be because you're all geeks and, and nerds and squints. So yeah, you, know, you're, you're, you know, a, a, a group yeah. of Klingons will just, you know, disembowel you for just yeah. cause. And I think it's also with where we're coming from in this. We're all, you know, Star Trek Online players. It's a combat-heavy game, and what we're looking for is the stuff that STO doesn't do and that we used to get out of the foundry. And now it's like, okay, we're doing more of that, like, fun bottle episode type stuff. 
rather than like, we've got to take this facility from the Klingons, rush in, stuff like that. It's just like, yeah, that's usually where we're not having the most fun. We had... I mean, well, so now, now, is this because of the kind of playing you want to do, or is this because of the the inherent dislike that many of you have for the damage system? I think it's both. It's a, okay. and that's where I think the game works well for us, and right. where we've kept going for a year on it. Yeah, it's because we found a game that sort of suits our natural inclinations, where its stumbling points don't come up for us. And I think that's kind of the thing to recommend for SDA is just. If you have that group, you have those players, this can fill a niche, but it's going to be a niche thing. You mm -hmm. need to have a group that's really into Star Trek, that wants to take it out for creative writing. And basically what you need are foundry authors to really make this work. You need a group of foundry authors who are basically communal storytelling in the moment and using the mechanics to just sort of work through minor actions. Okay. All and right. All right. All right. We, we're going to have to stop it here Yeah. for this, uh, for this segment. But, uh, uh, I'm going to sum up the the problems with the book, how it's written, how it's typeset, and all that stuff. We both agree. Yeah, that's that's an issue. The index worthless. The 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 the, the narrative explanation of facts bad yeah. call, especially a game like this. Especially the game like just bad call. Uh, having a having a book with black pages white text and a pdf with white pages black text should have been reversed yeah yeah okay so uh to play this game and enjoy it you had to homebrew the damage system basically away yeah and that's kind of the way to think that's yeah i'd say that is like i think that's fair we're not like changing the mechanics, but we're avoiding the mechanics. You're avoid. You're actively, you're actively avoiding the mechanic because you don't like it. Yeah. And 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 you and and you you did tell me there was a fight where you were the game master at one point where there was a fight where you oh yeah you actively did not use the damage no, system. You just gave out damage. Yeah, because all I did was like we like I was just trying to get through the night, and I'm like I really don't have time for this. I'm just going to have them roll like just their D20 and it's like, okay, you got more success than him. You knock him out. All right. Because so that, that reinforces that the, the idea homebrew. from this, the idea I, I, I gave out from this book that from reading this book, you can't learn the system well mm -hmm. enough to be comfortable. You can't. Yeah. And then that's even if also you good... why you have two game masters. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, it's, I would also say it's down to the personality. We could theoretically have one, and there's one person in our group that could have that role if they wanted to do their own session. But we've got basically a very story side, someone who's extreme story side, and then someone who's extreme mechanic side. And it's just like, yeah, they just work together on it. So, okay. Yeah. But I would say that works better than one person trying to like handle okay. it all. Okay. So, uh, take with that what you will. Um, mm -hmm. I think that many, many of my my points are are confirmed. Yeah. Um, it's... One 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 thing that uh, that that I will I will give is that uh, um, I didn't think to to homebrew the damage out. I mean that we we did have a comment earlier that uh, let me let me let me see if I could find it um, where. All D20 games have damage have damage dice like this. They have the, yeah. the uh, challenge dice that work like this, except Dishonored. Dishonored got rid of them 
for flat damage instead. And that's exactly what you did in that when, when you game yeah. mastered, you got rid of it and used flat damage. So there are D are there are two D20 games that do this. And and uh uh Indigo Dragon also believes that the uh the Dune RPG that's yes. coming out won't have these damage dice either. They will also Ooh. have a flat damage system. He I'm believes totally that he doesn't know, obviously, because we don't know. Yeah, but, so uh, I'm gonna look into that because the Dune RPG is what I want to like if I do more DMing. That's the one I want to run. That's the one you want to do. Okay, so hopefully it will. It, it, uh, you, but you can homebrew it to just do flat damage. You know, like phaser yeah. damage is six. Just say it does six. Yeah, stuff you like know? that. I if think you that... don't have armor and you get hit with a phaser set to kill, guess what? You die. You know, yeah. and that's that... what happens. Or yeah. now, no, no. By the rules, it does six damage. That means you have a lethal injury. It takes the multiple stages to get down there. And yes, yeah, it takes I, a lethal. You you now have a lethal injury because you've taken five plus damage in one hit and uh, you're and you 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 may be brought down to zero stress. So you have at least an injury, at mm -hmm. least an injury. This is a great but game. For you could also have a lethal injury if you're brought down to zero stress. So, yeah. OK, you uh, you you homebrew out the damage system. Yeah, for the most part. To, to make it work better for you. Yeah, and either okay. because I'm just saying that happens or the GM says that happens or we just avoid it. And I think, okay. again, a flat damage system on SDA would work a lot better. Okay, and, and the reason he suspects as because the Dune dice packs only come with two D20s and no challenge dice. Yes. So, so there, there, there's no special Modifius dice to be bought for the yeah. game which which infers or no 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 it implies that uh, that there is no uh damage dice system like the one yeah. in in Star Trek Adventures. And, okay. So and it's Mordifius making the Dune RPG, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, and they could be them just refining like basically taking feedback from this and then refining it. Like the Klingon core rule but not using black and white. Yeah, yeah. That was that was a that was a good call. That was uh, that was an yeah, excellent. So call. they're learning but you kind of see the evolution here. Right. Okay, so uh, that is it. I mean, uh, if if you want my if you want to compare uh, Duncan's Duncan's opinions and my initial opinions, please go to our our Legion of Myth YouTube page. Uh, look up uh, Le Legion of Myth Star Trek Adventures. You will find my my three part uh, three thirty minute uh, expose about it. How I made a character, it's the the game system, the introduction, all that stuff. And while you're there, like and subscribe. Why not? It's good stuff. And uh, and uh, we will uh, we will see you next time. Uh, say say goodbye to the YouTube folk. Bye, YouTube folk. All right. All right. Now we are going to go into segment two. Uh, does anyone have any questions before we do that to Duncan about his uh, about his game specifically about how he runs his game specifically? And Indigo Dragon says yes. It is it is Modifius that is yeah. doing it. So there Sweet. there is that. So if, if anyone has any questions for Duncan that we didn't cover, please ask him now because we are going to move on to, to a different subject matter in just a few minutes. And I will give you that time while I use the little heathen dog's room. Yay. Oh, you, you can see the chat, right? Uh, no, I can't right now because I'm just on uh, StreamYard. So... Let me go to 
Yeah, go. Uh, you have to go browser. to Twitch and YouTube. Yeah. Oh God, do both. Jeez, making this. Yeah, difficult. sorry. Sorry. All right. Uh, I'd say use this time while I'm getting set up to hurl abuse at Heathen Dog. Or blame Garthon. Good default. Who is, of course, in Argentina on a special mission that we cannot talk about right now. Doot, doot, doot. Uh, getting there. Of course, I have to use a touchscreen while doing this because I want to be fancy. But no, can do the direct method. So I hope you're all doing good. Staying alive. Almost there for Twitch people. There we go. Do <laughs> I say almost there. It's loading chat. Okay, good. So let's see. Um, uh, one of the questions here is, have you captured an Orion starship yet or have gotten captured by Orions? I believe he's doing yeah. the whole slave girl thing. Oh, have no, you, no, no, have no. You this been is good. In this is good. contact with Orion slave girls with their pheromony goodness? Yes. So what we, we've we been actually, like through our main arc, we've been captured or we've been fighting the Orions a little more than the Klingons. So we're currently in combat with three, uh, well, a war barge dreadnought, and then um, a couple of slave master battleships uh, with a bunch of other Federation ships. And they've Wrath of Condus because they've got our shield codes because of espionage. Sure. So we're going to take a beating, and I think most of the other ships are going to explode. Um, but good. it's our big finale. But we've done a bunch of stuff with the Orions. I was framed by uh, my cap the captain character I play was framed for murder by one of them. So, yeah, we had to get through that. And then we ended up doing like doing a bunch of stuff with the Orions to try to figure out, like, root out Nadine. And they're supposed to be our antagonist, but we rolled like leprechauns. And then I had a plan that my DM didn't think of, of I'm going to try to negotiate with these guys and make a really good deal for them that they couldn't refuse. I've done that twice now. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, Charlotte has a question. Uh, one problem she's had with uh, Star Trek RPGs is that the players use the replicator for everything, even replacing entire sections of the ship. Oh, no, no. You're not going to replace an entire section of the ship. Like, with a replicator, we just kind of handle it like... Uh, I mean, really self-healing stem bolts. Replicator. Yeah, you can replicate minor items like that, but if you're going to do, like, a phaser... It's like, okay, now you, you need a specialized replicator. It's going to take a while, something like that. Like that instant, I got something to do right now. You can do it for spare parts. So you don't have to work about, worry about stuff like that. You can do it like, I need a disguise. Use a replicator. I need food. Use a replicator. But like, 
solving your all your problems with replicator you just handle like trek writers it doesn't exist until you need something to show on screen then it does exist and then for the most part you're just dealing with whatever you need have on hand and i think the transporters are a little bit harder to work around but then there's just all these situations like nope radiation doesn't work radiation shields plasma storm whatever can just yeah. stop transporters in their tracks but uh so 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 the the main thing to to uh get players to not uh try and replicate everything is that you can use the replicators for parts. Yeah. And you got to put that together. Like yeah, you, or, can, you can replicate all the parts for a phaser, but or, you're going to have to put together the phaser. You can't just replicate a phaser, pull out fully charged. Yay. Shoot, shoot, shoot. No, yeah. that doesn't work. How does it get charged too? Because you're exactly. I, I, yeah. Part. I mean, come on. Like so you can't yeah, replicate a life form because you can't so, put like, so, energy yeah, in. Exactly. The idea is that, uh, you can replicate parts. You can't replicate entire devices. Like a replicator yeah. can't replicate another replicator. Yeah. It's replicate the parts for another replicator, then but you have an engineer put it together. Or if you have a complex device like that, it'll take a while. And that's what you can say as a DM. Like there's points in Star Trek 2 where it's pretty inconsistent. Like uh, there's like an episode in DS9 where you like the replicators started spawning these attack drones. But then you can just like hand wave that. It's like, nope, these replicators can't do that. They're not set up for that. Actually, Actually, uh, there are two different classes of replicators in uh, in both TNG and uh, and DS9. They're called industrial replicators, yeah. and these replicators specifically create whole machines. But yeah. they are huge. Yeah, they are massive. It it takes it takes an entire ship to bring just six to a planet. I I remember an arc in ds9 where cisco was betrayed by by that uh that by that security officer who was secretly maquis yeah and he stole six industrial replicators that were supposed to go to the cardassians yeah. and they they were being taken in the cargo hold of an entire ship a cargo yeah. ship to take six and so that's the thing huge. if you want to if you want to replicate something big, that's what you would need. A small like replicator that's like in engineering, sick bay, you're getting a hypo spray. You're getting a tricorder. And even if you want to make something complicated, it might take a while depending on the narrative. Like if you're under attack and it's like, I need to go to replicate a replicate a phaser, they're going to break the door down before that's ready. And so, oh, Charlotte has another one. Uh, so we'll just replicate all the parts for the ship then. Yeah. How long does it take to build a ship? A year and a half. It takes yeah. a year and a half to build the ship from the parts. Have fun. Yeah. Have fun doing it. No, no, that's real. That is real. It takes yeah. a year and a half to build a starship. To repair a starship's nacelles in uh in uh TNG, it took something like uh two weeks in dry dock. That's yeah, because then... they can replicate the parts, but not whole nacelles. You can't just slap a nacelle on that some bitch. You got to yeah. replicate the parts and have engineers put them together. That takes weeks and in the proper place, an actual dry dock. So yeah, there yeah. is no the, there. There was plenty of stuff in Canon Charlotte to 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 stop them from overusing replicators and dumb crap like that. Indigo has a question: What era are you playing in? We're playing in this Star Trek Online era, so it's that's where we've had to homebrew it. It hasn't really come up, though, because we just use all the same mechanics um, for damage and everything else like that. It's just, narratively, we're in 2409, where Star Trek Online is set, and that allows us to 
go through and do foundry stuff with uh, right. that setting. So right. basically TNG though. Right. Yeah. It's, it's TNG plus. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Mar Ogman says uh, Picard's replicator in his quarters. And to be fair, replicators in, in all quarters I've ever seen on the show is about like a bread box, you know? Yeah. So you couldn't replicate anything bigger than a bread box. And I've never, ever, ever seen them replicate a weapon unless the, the device was purposefully tampered with. Yeah. So, and that's been the running theme. Like, because think about it like this. If you could replicate a bomb in someone's quarters, it's a great tool for assassination. Or yeah, you if, don't want that, especially and, on your ship. You don't, want a, you don't want a bomb any, in space. Or any hazardous material too, because yeah. think about it. It's not like just tampering. You also have the, like, what if an accident happens, the computer goes haywires and replicates something. You want to make sure that there are some safeties in place that people don't like either hurt themselves or accidents or happen. hurt other people, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. My, oh yeah. The, the computer system malfunction and it just keeps pouring out mustard gas. Shit. Yeah. You know, Something yeah, like it that. literally cannot do that. It's built into the machine. You have to physically alter the machine to get it to create dangerous items. There's yeah. your way out of it. There's and your that's way out. also when they've had to like fill like the atmosphere, like they've had to fill parts of the ship with like gas to knock out parts of the crew. They haven't just had the replicators turn on to make that material. They've had right. to go through other means of getting that the process. Yeah, the, that process. So, yeah. So basically, what it comes down to, you can point to these limitations. Also, just as a game master, say no, that doesn't work. We've been in that situation before where we've had some stuff that there isn't precedent for in Star Trek. And then it's like, what are the limitations on that? And it's like, okay, we come up with it on the fly. Like, oh, this room is shielded. You can't do that. Okay. Uh, Margulis says, or in uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, where a broken replicator was repeatedly replicating apples. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just low stakes. Yeah. I mean, that's just replicated. That's just low stakes. Like, that's as much as you want a replicator malfunction to do. Right. Yeah, um, and uh, Kelvin Storm says, I imagine an item template will need to be programmed into the replicator so it's not, so not everything yeah. you can imagine. Yeah, you know, it, 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 each replicator is allowed, you know, a certain amount of replicator ability. A replicator in your quarters would never have in its database the, the ability to replicate a weapon. It's yeah. your personal quarters. You should be going to the armory to get weapons. Or if you're even at the standpoint of like, oh, I'm, I think I need a weapon, you can have it in a box or in a locker in your quarters yes. rather than tampering with the replicator system to make something in case you need it quickly. It's like, okay, I'm going to type in, go through the submenus, wait for it to finish replicating, and then hope this untested device works first go. Or... Go, go go into my bedside table and get my personal firearm. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Something so like it's, that. Yeah. and as players, we haven't done that, but we don't have players who are, whose interest is breaking the scene with right. yeah. these yeah, types yeah. of like, like conceits in Star Trek, like, especially with transports and what you can do with that. Cause it shields down. Okay. We're going to beam out their warp core. <laughs> Something like that, where, I mean, that's going to be hella difficult. And that, that's where the mechanics, you can ramp up the challenge of that and difficulty. Right. And I think oh, big works. time. Yeah, it's it's going to be an extended action and you're going to need multiple successes. And if they get the shields up at any point before you finish, you you fail. Yeah, beaming yeah. at a torpedo is a much better option. Yeah, fair. 
Yeah. yeah. I've actually done that too. Like in a game yeah. where we detected closed ships with their shields down. It's like, okay, I'm going to put TF torpedoes into each one of those ships as like main EPS grid. <laughs> and we just like instant disable. Because, and that also is just sort of, it makes sense as a conceit for cloaking devices where you want to be careful with them. Because if you are detected, you're a sitting duck. Yes, that is true. All right, so we are moving on from uh, from that to uh, segment two. And for all of our YouTube viewers, we are going to, uh, oh wait, Charlotte. Uh, okay, that's, that's talking to Charlotte. That's fine. We're going to move on and go to segment two. Yay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to RPG Digest. And uh, today we are going to talk about uh, two different styles, two radically different styles of game mastering. Sandbox style and structured or module style. Which one is better? Which one is worse? We're going to talk about it. And ultimately, I'm going to decide for you. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, go ahead and subscribe. Go and subscribe because I, I'm helping you by, by you know, alleviating uh, a little bit of your life's burden. So there you go. That's it. Now, uh, first, let's let's define our examples. And I'm going to use extremes just to clarify. Most people will fall in the middle or around the middle, but I'm going to clarify with extremes. Sandbox style play. This is where the game master creates a world, creates the NPCs, and lets the PCs do whatever they want. If they want to, to uh, that the, the, they know that there's evil wizard. The rumors are he's 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 trying to raise a, an undead army. They can choose to investigate that, or they can choose to uh, build a merchant's guild instead, and that's completely fine. They get to do whatever they want. And it's the game master's job to form the world around that, around what they're doing. And then there's the other side. There's the structured side, the module type game master who you, there's point A, point B, point C until you get to the end. And the, the characters follow these trail of breadcrumbs to, to complete the story and complete the arc and complete the adventure. And then at the very end, you will complete your seasonal arc or, or a campaign. Yeah. You know, with ending with killing the, the ancient evil wizard lich will be your, your level 15 to 20 final act of your, of the end of your campaign. But to get there, you had you, the, the, the game master had you go from here to there, to there, to there, to get the, to get all the tools and all the experience you needed to complete that final task. These are the two extremes. Now, Duncan, I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you if you like an extreme sandbox or an extreme structure. I'm going to ask you, which way are you leaning when you're a player? When I'm a player, I yeah. lean towards structure. You lean towards structure. Why is that? So it's, you, there's basically, otherwise you're basically taking upon yourself to take on that pseudo DM role because you're having to figure out a path through the scenario while also playing at the same time. And you're doing two Tell things. Lost money. No, he totally <laughs> lost money. And I've, I've tried both. So it's that thing of like, you're basically leaving up to the player. Like, do you have a good idea for the situation? 
And then it's like, yes or no, you might get something out of it if you have a really good idea. But otherwise, the player's just going to be like, I'm kind of just walking around going through my day. It's like uh, you really need to have people who are able to just riff off each other and do something like that, where if you have structure, then you actually have a scenario to run through. And there's right. we're kind of using now, we're kind of using a little bit of both, but even if we're doing something that's more sandboxy, I mean, we're still basically just taking it as basically it's a improv structure session where it's up to a player like getting an opportunity like, hey, I want to run through this a little bit. And they're kind of taking on that role as a DM, but it's sort of like it's not really a sandbox. It's not like we are we have that initiative just to constantly play. We're just basically like we're falling towards the middle, but we're even not in the middle yet. We're still very much on the structure side. Okay. So uh Keldon said no 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 he meant me oh he meant, me, me, he meant, he meant oh. i would pick sandbox oh well, you are Keldon, you have not watched welcome Ooh. to the stream for the very first time <laughs> i appreciate you i appreciate you coming by and 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 listening to my beautiful voice for the very first time Ooh. because you still lost money you lost Sandbox more money on that one. Gaming is for morons. Sandbox gaming is the worst. The absolute worst. Players cannot be trusted. A yeah. game master who who runs a sandbox campaign to me is exactly like a babysitter watching six children running around with scissors. Sooner or later someone's going to get hurt and the game master is going to get blamed for it. That's what sandbox gaming is. Yeah. You need to give them structure. Just like children who are starting off bowling, you put bumpers in the gutters. That's what I do. I give you the illusion of the possibility of agency, but really, you're just dancing in the palm of my hand. You never really had a choice. You were going to do what I wanted you to do, no matter what you thought or wanted. And my job is to trick you or fool you, or lie to you to make you make the correct decision. That's my job as a game master. And my games run smoothly, and everyone has a good time, for the most yeah. part. There, 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 there was one time where, where I screwed up. I made the cardinal, the, the cardinal game master sin. I made a story decision because I thought it would be cool and didn't and i didn't take the players ideas into account like would the players think this was cool yeah i made that mistake one time and garthon didn't talk to me for two weeks Oof. Oof. Yeah. Ow. in real life he didn't talk to me for two weeks in real oh life. yeah yeah we've yeah. had situations like that too where like a game master goes in a certain direction we're like going for horror aspect we're looking for comedy and then we're just like oh wait well what's going on here we have to take like a moment to talk it through out of character but the um but yeah like I think like where we we're sort of a little bit more towards the middle on that side because we're basically dancing to the palm of our game master's hand. But basically, if we got a better idea, he's like, okay, cool, run with it. Like he is a little bit more flexible when it comes to like his grand plan. He's got one, and for a lot of mm -hmm. the stuff, we're dancing. But then even like when it we we can he his his mantra is basically players will break what you have in mind. Yes, the thing is, give them a chance. You give them enough rope, they will hang you. Not themselves, yeah. they'll hang you. Yeah, so we've, like, and that's kind of where we've, 
not necessarily, I wouldn't put it that way, but basically we've hung some of his ideas and that's where it gets into avoiding combat where we completely did, like break a scenario he's got. But then we ultimately have a really great time because we we think we've got agency because we've done one thing, but we haven't done the big thing. It's basically, it's like, instead of like like going into the tavern, we go into another building, but then it's still along the same arc. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, you, uh, you, he. It was a false choice. No yeah, matter what you chose, you were going to end up in the same place. Yeah, and that's ultimately yeah. where we go. It's like the yes, end that, of our episode is, is usually exactly where he thinks. It's the A and the B, and we wander. But it is that illusion of agency where it's like we're going through these scenes, and he's creating that scenario because he's doing the storyteller role. He's taking that, taking out of himself from the character side, and like thinking that through. And that's where for when I've done my GMing for a couple of our sessions, I tried doing a sandbox my first time, which is a really bad idea, especially for a first time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It, it, it takes a GM who can think yeah. on, on his or her feet immediately to not have runaway chaos in a pure sandbox campaign. So runaway the, chaos. The, what, the, the other thing that happened though was basically you give the players that like, here's a sandbox and they don't know what to do with it. That's the yeah. thing that we like, it either goes, doesn't go anywhere or goes off the rails. Right. And furthermore, there are some games that just do not work with the sandbox mm -hmm. technique. Cannot work. Examples. Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Cannot Everyone work. Dies. Sandbox technique. Cannot work. Paranoia. Cannot work because of the computer. The computer mm -hmm. is God. The computer says so, you do it. You, you say no to the computer, please, please uh, go to uh, self-termination chamber 7A. That's it. Yeah. Uh, other games, uh, superhero games. You are a superhero. You have a trajectory. You cannot deviate from that trajectory. If you do, you are no longer a superhero. You are a villain and everyone else has to shoot you now. That's how it yeah. works. So and a lot of games, you just can't have sandbox. Pure fantasy games, pure sci-fi games that uh, that uh, that lend itself to sandbox easier is uh, yeah. uh, fifth, fifth edition Watsi, um, uh, uh, Stars Without Number, uh, stuff like that, where where there's just oh, so much infinite choice. But like you said, I agree with you. Like you said, if you have a group that cannot focus itself. If you have a group that cannot create its own cohesive goal, you're in for a shit show. Yeah. And on top of that, too, it's like, even if you have something with Star Trek, it's like, oh, Star Trek, infinite possibilities. No, the way it's set up is a narrative structure. And to get the most out of it, you need the narrative structure there. Like, you can do miscellaneous stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. He, 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 he typed that when I said the whole uh, kids running with scissors thing. Oh, really? <laughs> on that? Okay. I thought he was like, he's going to come down on the other side. No, sandboxes are the best thing ever. But no, no I, no, I no. really don't think that's Max. But um, yeah, so for like even Star Trek, like we can have, you can do interludes where players have like, if I want to go converse with another player. Interludes. That is, yeah. that is the way to go. You're absolutely right. That, that, that actually gives players the illusion of agency. For example, in my games, um, I'm, I'm going to make them go from A to B to C to the evil Lich King 
and kill the evil Lich King. Yeah. But an adventure here or there is going to be for them. I'm going to widen the lane. I'm not taking out the bumpers. I'm going to mm-hmm. widen the lane, but I want to create a stronghold. Okay, today's adventure is about about Jake the 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 knight. You know, he has enough money now. He wants to create a stronghold. He's going to do that. And everyone's going to help him do that. Everyone is going to get their own adventure day to do mm-hmm. what they want to do. I call it the vacation day. Yeah. Everyone gets their vacation day. You are no longer under the the invisible yoke of the game master. You are you are no longer a puppet on my strings for this day alone. As long as you stay in the lane, which I purposefully widened for you today, you're welcome. As long as you stay in that purposefully widened lane for you today, you can accomplish whatever your character personally wants to accomplish. I'll give them that. That is the most actual agency I will give a player. Everything else is an illusion. Yeah, and we've started doing that too on our campaign. But we've just under the title of bottle episodes, or it's like, okay, crew's just doing whatever. It's usually something where it's like we're all pretty just uh, be like we don't have anything uh, super planned. So it's like, okay, let's develop the characters more because we've really gotten into that the, the role playing aspect. So it's like, okay, someone's gonna run the Kobayashi Maru simulation. Like, and we go through that, or we're gonna get drunk on the holodeck. We're gonna go through that. And just have those sort of those just those fun moments that lend themselves to that just sort of like I'm just going to mess about right now. But you are within the lane of uh, and right. for us it's easy of what you're doing plausibly on a starship because it's not like I'm going to go attack the Klingons. I'm like, gonna, no, you're like, not. No, no, you're no, not going to do that. You're not. You're fired. Get out. Now uh, uh, Max has this. Max, he's he's more he's a oh he is he is on no no he's he's on the sandbox half but yeah close to the middle the the reason being is because he has a timeline of events the way the way yeah. Matt runs his campaigns he has a timeline of events you can do whatever you want but mm-hmm. if you do not accomplish this task by this time the lich king will win yeah if you do not accomplish this task by this time then then fair maid marion gets gets uh gets uh bad touched by 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 uh by prince what's his nuts and is 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 forced to marry her and now you no longer have have a friend in the court and you have you have consequences for that Mm -hmm. if you do not follow the story you don't have to max will give you consequences because that timeline has elapsed and you can no longer accomplish that part of the of the story yeah i can I don't allow that because players will always screw that up. And then and then they'll blame me. Why didn't you let me do that? Why didn't you let me? Why what why did this timeline elapse? Why didn't I have more time? I wanted to do this and I needed that time to do this. But you Just didn't put yourself whiny, into that situation. Whiny, whiny players. Don't let them do that. Yeah. Not- I uh, I in some respects, we could say that we're a little bit like doing things on timeline, but it's always the A to B. We've got a goal. We've got to complete the goal. Uh, like us players are investing in going towards that goal. We don't, there's, you could run through the consequences if all the players said, no, we're not doing that. But we really haven't gotten that situation. I would say we're definitely on the structure side. Yeah, of the I get it. I get it. Uh, Keldon says, as a player, uh, 
I said he sets he sits down assuming the GM has a plan. If they don't, wonder why they are the GM. See, and he he's on the side of structure as well because the GM, if the GM doesn't have a plan, and that that segues into Indigo's question: Why is sandbox style called sandbox? Because uh, when a child plays in a sandbox, the child literally can make anything out of the sand. Sand and some water, mold it into anything. If if you're on a beach, you get some water, you can make any castle you want. Mm -hmm. you, 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 you can make the impression of a starfish. You you can uh you, you can make a hut, you you can you can just take the sand and throw it in the air if you want to. That's why they call it sandbox, because the person in the sandbox has complete control. The only thing the game master has done is create the sandbox. Mm -hmm. Giving the player complete control is putting them in the sandbox and say, go have fun. Yeah. And gaming's use that term, but it's, it usually falls under structure and the sandbox is basically there for interludes. So yes, yes. Uh, for, for, for video games, the, a sandbox video game is more, uh, you can go anywhere at any time. There is no place that's locked out until you complete this specific task. You can do tasks out of order in yeah. any order you wish, but it will be more or less difficult depending on your choices. But yeah. these are your choices. That's why it's a sandbox video game. Yeah. But in a sandbox RPG, it is you can do whatever you want in the frame of the world that the DM created and the DM cannot control you. The one I think that would be interesting to try on that is, I don't know, like maybe Dune could have, if you get the right players, an interesting campaign where you basically set them up with the premise of the book. And you have that starting premise and let them screw it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then it it that the in the process of screwing it up would be interesting. But you need to have that DM basically doing that sort of that live, moving things about. You need to have the players directed towards the general goals. Basically, people yeah. who know who Red Dune know everything about it. So you really need, yeah, the right players to make a sandbox style campaign work, because it is basically a shared narrative yes. creative writing type thing and if there's not that buy-in to that experience you're not going to get it's going to be a bad time unless everyone is is on board you know, on this all the players are on the same page if yeah. all the players are on the same page you can lean more sandbox than structure and still complete everything the game master wants you to complete because you you really want to because all the players want to do it mm-hmm but if all the players don't want to do it, there's this asshat who uh, who who wants to go left when the GM and everyone else wants to go right. If you're in a sandbox campaign, you got to let that little bastard go left, and then it screws everyone who went right because they need him. Yeah, and yeah, it's basically it's sort of like that's where you get the uh, sort of the carrot and the stick approach of you can let the players have that flexibility if they're responsible with it. But if they start messing about with it, get the stick out. <laughs> yeah, consequences but, just to but, make sure but then, build but that. then the player blames you for taking away their agency see you 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 implicitly gave them agency and now you're mm -hmm. taking it away yeah and they get mad at you so that's why i never actually give them agency just the illusion of it so yeah. i've never given them anything so i can't take anything away but uh, Indigo Dragon has this, but all those sandboxes we play in as kids have boundaries that keep the sand in. Think it, think of it this way, Indigo. Uh, the if you're in a fantasy campaign, uh, say D and D, 
and um the boundary of the sandbox is the multiverse they can't leave the multiverse there you go yeah it's it's yeah. basically think about like a ba uh, take elder scroll skyrim and just make that rpg the players stumble out of a jail and then what do they do next i mean there isn't like you haven't been given that like like instruction like you should go to this location and then engage in this narrative structure it's the literal like okay what do they do and it's an organic like building something around yeah. that they talk to someone you don't have a structure mind but it's like okay it'd be a fun idea to say maybe there's a grand baron up there you had no idea that we're going to do that but you were incorporating this element to this sort of the shared world sure rather than taking it as like i've got a narrative idea so you're basically building a setting you're not building a story and then the yeah. players are inserting their story into it exactly right and that and if under the right circumstances and i i think you can agree with me on this these circumstances are required to make successful sandbox play one you have to have a game master who knows the game in and out has yeah. been doing it for years and can think on his feet to to uh uh, to to keep the gameplay interesting no matter the choices the players make and conversely you need players who can all get themselves on the same page get themselves to to get themselves to the same goal mm -hmm. if you can do that then you can then then true sandbox play is possible and enjoyable but mm -hmm. this is like I have not seen this 99 times out of 10. It's always been a failure. 99 times out of 100. No, I meant what I said. <laughs> 99 times out of 10. Yeah, you're like, this is I meant what I said. 990% of the time. It was, it was a joke. <laughs> it was a joke for effect. Yes, 99 go. times out of 10, I've seen sandbox games fail. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in the sandbox game. I believe, you know, there's a there's a halfway point between structure and sandbox. I'm always on the structure side. Yeah. Uh, it seems it seems like uh, Duncan is leaning on the structure side. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of like instead of going sixty percent to structure, like or sixty or seventy percent to structure, I'm sort of more in the fifty-five, sixty percent. I would say it's pretty solidly sixty because 60. even if I'm doing like because it's the interlude thing, I think is even I think that's a better way to handle it. Because even while I was doing sort of the sandboxy thing, I ultimately had a schedule of like, okay, next day you got to go to this location. Within this day, you can go nuts. But it's, yeah, even then, it's just like you, I didn't provide a more structure than that. And they needed more for my yeah. session. So, yeah, see, I'm, yeah. I'm more 80% structure. 20% yeah. sandbox that, that that's, that's my, those are yeah, my vacation so dates. I'm, I'm, Max Liao, uh, he says, build a setting and let the players explore it on their own. That is more sand. He's on the, yeah. he's, on the he's on the like 40% structure side, you know, he's, a, yeah. he's, a, he's so, on more sandbox side. I, I don't, I don't brook with that nonsense, but, uh, and yeah, I'd say with where we were falling in my setting was basically, I have a setting and the players themselves didn't really know what to make of it, especially with me coming in as a first-time DM, where mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I've got this thing here, but they're not exploring it. They're sort of like going along with things, but they're not like poking around the corner. And I had fun with this because basically there was a, a goat farm that they were at for like spending overnight. And they the next day had to go into the city. So at the start of the next episode, it's like, okay, one of you hears, meh. 
a goat was following them the entire freaking time and no one looked around so no one got to see the goat was following them the entire freaking episode as a way of like hey guys you might want to start poking around a little bit and it's like you need that player buy-in because with the sandbox because if you don't have that you're not going to have that free exploration you can have a thousand things in mind but if they're not poking they're only poking at one or two things just sort of nibbling you're not going to get a great time out of that so that's where you need the player buy-in if yeah. you don't have that then you need the structure you need so the structure exactly and mar hawkman says uh this reminds me he used to read a lot of the choose your own adventure books when he was a kid and some of them were actually written as stories where he had multiple ways to get from a to b yes the the way the choose your own adventures worked was uh you thought you were making different decisions, but they all led to either you win or you lose. Yeah. Yeah. They, they all, the all roads lead to victory or defeat and it's the same victory or defeat in most of the books. There were, there were some books I, I, I had that were choose your own adventure that, that you could lose multiple ways or win multiple yeah. ways. Those, those are the really good, good and well-written ones, but mm -hmm. most of them for the, for the younger kids, you either you know failed or you succeeded, and there were multiple ways to get there. But those were bumpers. Yeah, you thought you had choices. You thought you were making moves, but you were dancing in the hand in the book's hand, and that's it. Yeah, and most yeah. games work that way too. Where most, it's like most games work that way as well. Now, um, uh, D and D has gotten has purposefully gotten away from the module format that it had mm -hmm. early on in uh, in basic Beckmead first edition, second edition, where they had modules where you would go from, it would have A to B to C to D yeah. or an entire adventure and stuff like that. That is the play that I like the best. That is the play that keeps, it keeps the players focused. It keeps mm -hmm. them goal oriented. And at the end of it, they feel like they've accomplished something as a team. Now, yeah. did I do a module every single adventure? No. Like I said, vacation days happen. Mm -hmm. Vacation days happen. Uh, Keldon Storm, uh, point, point crawled. Players feel they can do whatever they, whatever, whenever, but they will need to hit the points. The yeah. thing is, if, if you give them too much agency, they won't hit the points you want them to hit hmm. unless you push them. Yeah. And unless that's what I had them. to do. And you gotta it, push like, them. so to hit my points, I abducted half the crew. There you go. See, that's pretty heavy handed. Yeah. That's so pretty heavy handed. Yeah, and so it's now it's like, okay, now you have to deal with the situation because I was thinking like, well, what if they're asked to do it? They might not follow the right leads. So it's like, okay, I gave them a set of like, here's some clues to work through, hinted at like what would be the most productive, but even so I had backup plans for that. But the second episode, it was very structured. It's like, okay, one group of players, you have to escape this room. And it was a series of challenges of like, how do they deal with these yeah. different aspects of it? And yeah. it they ran straight into a force field because they missed one of the things. But it, then they had options to, like my player at that point was an Android. He punched through a wall and I used to let him go through that because he was finding another way to the plot I wanted. But right. it's like, I mean, it was a sandbox in the he, sense. He stayed in the bumpers. You, he, he stayed got, in the bumpers. He got, he got to the end. He just, he didn't, didn't murder. That. He that's didn't just fine. say like, "That's fine." He didn't look to the other players and say, "You're dead weight to me," and then just kill them. No. <laughs> Which in a sandbox game you would have to allow to happen. Yeah, uh, you don't have that ability. It's like everything is just sort of contextualized. It's like a giant improv session, but then improv works because you're not having to build on this like giant set of contingencies to the entire act. It's like here's yeah. a small like here's five minutes. Here's five minutes. Here's five minutes. 
Yep. So, okay. Uh, that one, that one was, was pretty quick. Uh, so for all of you watching out there, uh, th thank you very much. I have taken some, uh, some of your life choices and made them for you. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Uh, sandbox play bad structured play. Good. Now I'm not saying that complete structure is good, but Airing for uh, moving toward more structure is always better than more sandbox. Always better. The players were, are going to have a better time. They're going to say they're not. Don't trust players ever. <laughs> They'll always lie to you. Players have a better time, just like children, when they have structure. At least some. Never give a player agency because then you're going to have to take it away. Then you've taken something away from them. The players get mad. If you never gave them agency in the first place, you can never take anything away from them. Remember that. <laughs> All right. Now that is a really good way to end. And of course, you know, if, if you don't agree, then uh, if you're watching on Twitch, you can stick around and come on to, uh, to segment three where we will hear your grievances or your opinions and we will respond and we will respond in how we respond. And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, like, dislike, leave a comment. We will, we will most likely either Max Liao or I will answer your comment to the best of our ability. And of course, if you want to yell at us some more, you can go on our discord right there. Go on our discord, use that link. We are on Discord pretty much every day, all the time. And uh, just keep it civil <laughs> and everything will be fine. So uh, do you have any final words about uh, sandbox versus structure? Duncan, go. Always look for the sheep. Always look for the sheep. Thank you very much. <laughs> and everyone on YouTube, have a great day. All right. Now, uh, anyone in Twitch? Uh, we are going to uh, go to uh, segment three in just a moment. Uh, you'll be able to ask us anything we've we've spoken about. A ask uh, ask Duncan about his uh, Star Trek Adventures game. Asked uh, ask, ask Duncan, you know, you know why why he's he's not smart enough to use the 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 damage system like they do. He he oh, is no, smart no, no. enough. He is. He I is. It's choice. the rest of the players he's with that are not PhD material. Okay. Okay. No, 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 no. Here's the thing, though. You expect the smart choice to use the mechanic, not to find a way around the mechanic. Ah, see, there's, there's, there's the logical rub there. There you go. <laughs> see, that's also yeah, a valid you're making point. a presumption that you need like, and that's again the way Star Trek uh, Adventures works. It's a lie. You should just handle as a light RPG session if you got Trekkies you want to role play. So, wow, we ended segment two at the two hour mark. Yeah, uh, I've, I've, uh, today was because it's Easter and, uh, I've got to make a lot of phone calls to family that I can't see and stuff like that. Um, I, I wanted to make each segment to be, you know, the first two segments to be an hour. Mm -hmm. All right. You know, Duncan also has to call family as well because yeah. it's much earlier for him. He lives in Nebraska. So, you know, all of his family is. Oh in, yeah. Much in, earlier. In, one hour. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's an extra hour, but he had to get up an extra hour for that. So we will now go into segment three. Let me put up the segment three banner. Boom. And I will send the link. Let me stop sharing the screen. There you go. Let me send the link out. Send the invite. Anyone who wants to come in, all you need is a microphone and uh, no foul language. And you can come in and uh, ask uh, ask uh, me or Duncan about uh, Star Trek Adventures or Sandbox versus Structure Play. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, if you want to tell us about uh, your, your Star Trek Adventures game, that'd be great too. If you want to tell us about how your Sandbox game was successful and your Structured game was a failure, you're welcome to do that. That's fine. Anyone who wants to come in, absolutely cool. Do, 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 do. Yes, Crafty, today was a short one. Yours will probably be longer. Yeah, we also <laughs> both, both agreed, too. So it's not like we could have an extended discussion. It's like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to, you know, you have any questions? I mean, you have a, if you want to, if you want to come, if you want to come in, oh, you can't, you're at work. That's right. Post the link in the discord group as well. I would love to max, but I cannot because this computer I am at right now does not have discord built into it. So I will, uh, if you can link that into discord for me, that would be great. I'm on a tablet, so I can't. Well, how about your wife? She was here a second ago. She's not on a tablet, is she? What kind of tablet are you using? Oh, he's got old tablets. He he has a he has an iHippie, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it was like if it I I run Discord through uh Chrome, so I don't even have it installed. Right. But if it's a that's the one device where I'm like, ah, I that or an old Surface RT, but it's like yeah, I don't know if that would work in the web browser for whatever they've got running but yeah well, i uh, but uh when uh when this uh um when i put this uh this whole thing up on uh on the discord backers this uh the whole episode uh, uh will if, if you're if you're a subscriber to the channel you can watch this entire thing not just the segments um i'm going to uh, purposely call out uh, aaron the pedantic because he is a sandbox GM, he loves the sandbox. Ah, uh, he loves it. He loves it to death. It's his. It's his baby. And uh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. And you mentioned that, yeah, you wanted to get him on. So, yeah. So yeah. I want. I want him. To, I want him to fight me on it. Yeah, go for it. Because it's like I mean, you can start off by basically saying I didn't fight you for it because I'm on the same page as you, even though. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm a little more in. extreme than you are, yeah. but we're leaning in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I did, you know, when I was doing the foundry, I mean, I did have these like sandboxy type things in a bunch of my missions where I was like, Hey, you can wander around or you can go straight forward. And it was kind of that that's as much as I include it in what I do now, actually less so now. Um, cause you're dealing with sort of like putting things in the player's imagination if they're just like, yeah, that's a thing. It, 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 there's not like that, like mechanical, the same mechanical feeling of wandering about mm -hmm. when you're just like, my character wanders about. Okay. Then there's no fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's the, um, yeah, that's where I fall on that. It's just like, yeah, I, in just doing this so, for so long, the best episodes we had, actually, no, we did have a great sandbox moment. 
Um, we did a vacation episode on Ryza, except it was the mur- it turned into a murder mystery episode. And uh, it always does on Ryza. It oh yeah. Does. Yeah. And I wanted, I was trying to go for like when I suggested this to our DM is like you try for like a Hercule Poirot type thing of like it's just luxury and tropical area. And then the captain gets accused of murder. Although I did have to stop my GM at that point because he wanted it to be I wake up in the bedroom of an Orion and it didn't fit the character. So, like, no, he stood fast. It's like, I'm not going to sleep with that person. I'm just going to sit here and try to wear them down at a coffee shop just talking to them normally. Because that my character is like he's a um, he joins Starfleet. No, no, opposite. Because what happened is that he was he is an orphan who grew up on an alien homeworld, uh, alien world that was basically just a Orions, Nausicans, kind of black market and criminal syndicate type stuff. And he joined Starfleet. But the thing is, he kind of ends up being straight laced. But basically, by knowing how not to be manipulated by people. Basically, like this person manipulating me, I'm gonna go full wooden on this one just to step, push their buttons on it. But anyway, what happened great, great with the sandbox is that one of our players went to find a gambling parlor and had this wonderful adventure of them like getting to the high stakes table and winning a freaking starship that we still don't know what to do with. <laughs> but I mean, but the thing is, he's ultimately become like a Lando Calrissian type character, and we're kind of yeah. like giving him that effect. He's starting to wear capes now. Christ, he's really, he's really and, drinking the Kool-Aid on that one. Well, it's been hilarious. It's his affective style, and it just sort of it works for him. And then he um he went to the uh, diplomatic conference because the mission I ran was basically my first mission where you go to the AB homeworld. And there's a bunch of stuff that happens. He went to that mission in like a James Bond spy suit, including um I gave him little like blades that come out of his shoes. And it, like one of the Android character tried to open a, a pick a lock. And then the other guy's like, I'm going to try to like break it with my shoe. And I thought he was going to take out, like break the lock with shoe. I thought he was going to take it out, use the blade to do it. It's like, no, I'm going to kick it. <laughs> He's going to kick the door open with like a laser shoe. And the thing a is, laser. get out. You no, had a laser I, I mean, shoe and you're kicking? What's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, he's kicking it. The thing is, he rolled an incredible roll for that one. And I gave it to him like... Oh, you do that. <laughs> you kick the door open like that. And it's just like for us, we kind of like it's a little bit of piss taking, but we te- we're kind of almost like not quite lower decks in our style, but we're getting there. Okay. All right. Yeah. But it's like we're we're having fun with it. And we don't have that person to sort of come down and like, no, this isn't entirely in keeping because we're a bunch of cadets who've been given a starship. What are you going to expect? Yeah. Oh. Oh. And to to explain that, um, uh, Duncan's character is a lieutenant, and he is in command of a starship. So technically, yeah. he is the captain. Now, the reason being is because they're running off of the Star Trek Online storyline, yeah. and in the Star Trek Online beginning, in in the original beginning, uh, you are at war with the Klingon with the with the Klingon Empire. Yeah. And and there is a shortage of experienced officers and you uh, you exemplified yourself in the very first mission or the, the very first two missions yeah. of the game and your captain died and Starfleet Admiralty said, Hey, you we're, we're, we're short on, on officers. We have ships, but we need them in the front line. Now we don't have the officers to fill them, the proper officers, but you have shown yourself to be capable and be able to do it. 
So we're putting you in command. So the funny thing about that is that we're doing that, except we're doing it as a slightly different take. We still have the player character as like in the universe, and we kind of just occasionally make references to that other officer, except we take the complete piss out of it. Like my character hates the player character because they do nothing. It's the sort of that like minimum expectation or minimum stereotype or expectation you have for a player in Star Trek Online. They do nothing but fire at will. They're the only player who's failed the Kobayashi Maru by destroying the Kobayashi Maru accidentally. <laughs> nice and we just like you go through it it's like oh my god and we sort of like ran into him in a time travel episode and it's like oh wh why does that why is this person getting promoted why are they even in that but it's it's again it's fun for us because it's kind of a parody but not quite full-on but it's kind of like i'd say final frontier level with this tone where some of it is just legit fun. Like it goes to, for the legit laugh and doesn't get too serious, even when it's getting serious. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that. Okay. Not, but not, we're not finding God at the center of the universe. And we, no one has a mysterious brother they've never uh, seen before. So yeah, that's well, that hasn't happened yet. So yeah. So, well, I, nope. <laughs> You say it doesn't happen yet. That is totally going to happen with my character. <laughs> oh, here we yeah. go. Oh, we got someone? Oh, no, no. Crafty says, uh, here's an awesome idea for a one-on-one -on -one or DM and two-player RPG. Quantum Leap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you, you can do a Quantum Leap with uh, with one game master and two players. Yeah, you can one, do that. One actually... being Al, the hologram, and one being uh, uh, Scott Bakula's character. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, I've never actually watched Quantum Leap. You've never watched Quantum You son of a bitch. Okay. I know. Uh, it was kind of like, it was like the TV, like I've seen the Sam box. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like it wasn't on TV when I was watching like TV at that time. So well, it's, I'm probably, uh, you, I'm are a, you are a subscriber to our Twitch channel, which means uh, you have access to my Plex server. Oh, you got that now. Or you've got that set up. Okay. Yeah, and I have every episode of Quantum Leap on my Plex server. Oh, Mark Hawkman's here. Oh, cool. So we'll bring in Mark Hawkman, see what he's got. Uh, Mark Hawkman, hang on one second, or you, you're going to help us answer this question. Hello, Mark Hawkman. Hello? Almost. Hello. Oh, there he goes. Okay, Indigo Dragon has a question. Uh, how would you handle super lore Star Trek junkies if they were trying to put established TV lore into your rpg sessions oh well I, I would have to have established tv lore in your star trek game yeah. you'd have to have it it might be someone who's really uh wanting like to replicate moments maybe like we're going to be at the battle of war of like wolf 359 but yeah on one of the other ships or Something like that, but it's like, I think what you could also have is someone who is so focused on the Star Trek lore is that they don't do anything else. Like, their car character is like a carbon copy of, they're an android, they're a carbon copy of data. Maybe something like that, where mm. they, I think that's how I'm interpreting the question. It's like someone who's just so lore heavy that they try to just feed everything they do into, is it canon or not canon? Well, well okay. One one oh, yeah that, that's, the, that's the same thing i was thinking about it's like um people 
it's one thing I, I've seen a, a lot in discussion on video game forums related to Star Trek is like, oh, well, this thing happened in that episode. There's, therefore, this game idea doesn't work. And, yeah. And then you're like, this isn't that Star Trek episode. And, you know, that's the sort of it, in Star Trek itself, the, certain aspects of the lore are incredibly inconsistent. Yeah, that is true. That That is true. But uh, uh, a good answer for that to that 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 a player might accept is that okay um in the example you gave Jordy LaForge in season 7 when he was the most competent chief engineer that ever existed in the TNG universe did that are you the most competent engineer in TNG history no then you're literally not able to do that Actually, Sorry, you, you, you know what? Uh, that's something that you just brought up something that's one of those things that's Geordi LaForge did it. I don't think of any other character who ever screwed this up like this, or at least visibly screwed it up, because I guess in some of the other examples, you simply didn't have a way to verify whether they screwed it up. Creating holographic uh, replicas of uh, people and getting the personalities right. Jordi LaForge is the only one who apparently unintentionally screwed it up because of the fact that he didn't know the person and basically oh, just... Oh, oh you're talking yeah. about the whole... Uh, Leia Bronze. Uh, uh, yeah. Suckling alien thing where where he... He... Uh, uh, he replicated the designer of the galaxy class engine who was a woman. He fell in love with her as a hologram, blah, 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 stuff like that. And yeah, then meets her in real life. And then there's issues. And then she's completely different. Well, yeah. that's not his fault. It was the, it was the computer's fault because he, he told the computer to, to fill in all of the personality based on all of her personality tests. She may have lied on all of those personality testing yeah. clearance. I don't yeah, know. The thing is you, for other holodeck scenarios, it's not as picky. So that's kind of the thing with the lore being inconsistent because no one really has to go to those loops to like, if they're trying to fool someone, for example, like, oh, you're, you know, you're going through this situation, you're actually on the holodeck. There isn't that like, you don't have that constant problem of inconsistency where you need to feed it carefully, find data. It's like, we need the, and it's episode by episode moment. It was useful for that episode to give Jordy that scene. But because they don't have to consistently do that, they're usually like, okay, they need to make a replica of a character rather than spending five minutes just talking about, oh, we got to insert the right personality test. They just do it. Yeah. Well, and well, uh, uh, Indigo Indigo Dragon says basically a player using lore to try and overrule the GM is is the big problem. Yeah. What they think? Yeah. That that is a problem. Um, now, uh, using using established lore, there's two kinds of lore in Trek. All right. In 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 my opinion. There's two kinds of lore. There's stuff that happened because that's how the world works. And there's stuff that happened because exceptional people made it work. All right. Now, stuff that happened is in lore is the Maquis were killed. The Maquis were broken up. They were destroyed. Yeah. Okay. Stuff that happened in lore is that the uh um the klingons broke away from the, from the federation at one point and then came back stuff that happened in lore is that the the dominion and the cardassian joined together and put war upon the alpha and beta quadrant that happened that is stuff in lore 
that happened because of events, because of stuff in lore. Now, stuff that happened because of exceptional people made it happen is stuff that Picard personally did, stuff that Riker personally did. That's not lore. That's exceptional characters performing exceptional tasks. It well, doesn't mean you can do it. It means they did it. It means well, well, it's possible. It doesn't mean you have the ability that they have. Or, or, or like how Michael Eddington kept a, um, a a small splinter group of the Maquis active. Eddington, that was the guy who stole the industrial replicators. Yeah. That, that was the guy who was a that's, Starfleet that's infiltrator. That's why he stole yes. them. <laughs> yeah. But yes. I think this could come up if... Oh, just a second. Oh, yeah. So you guys keep talking. I've actually got to get the door real quick. Well, okay. well what, what I was going to say there was... Um, Eddington stealing those industrial replicators, he did that because of the fact that the Maquis power base was basically non-existent at that point. Yes. And that, that it was a desperation play to keep them from... Keep them alive, right. Keep the movement going that well, he believed in. Also, yeah. you find out in that episode that the real reason Eddington's group hadn't been killed by the Cardassians was diplomatic reasons and that the Cardassians didn't want to uh, piss off the Federation by murdering them. By murdering someone who was a former Starfleet officer and, and that Starfleet wants to bring in for charges. And if you just kill him, he's a citizen, technically he's a Starfleet officer and a citizen. So yeah, that would cause diplomatic issues and problems. And yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. That, 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 that's, that's cool. But uh, yeah, Aaron, Aaron, oh, you're gonna have to uh, uh, watch a uh, segment two when it comes out because I I, I called you out. The, the, the called you out. I called you the, out. The reason I was mentioning that though is because of the fact that it emphasizes the fact that the amount of stuff Eddington did was because it was something you know Eddington did yes the, the him as a, it is in lore because a a a specific person has done it not the history of events like like uh the the momentum of history didn't that's not the lore we're talking about the lore you're talking about is a specific person who is in the right place at the right time to do a specific thing which made it lore but it doesn't mean another person can abuse the fact that happened to make it happen again and, and, because and they Eddington, may not be as special. And when Eddington's gambit failed, that was basically the death knell of the uh, yes, uh, Maquis because of the Maquis, right? Pretty much the last uh, cell left. <laughs> yes, Indigo Dragon, your your summon spell worked. <laughs> he actually actually summoned Aaron the pedantic. There was the earlier. I was I was like a. Uh, I, I can't scroll up and find it, but uh, but it was in an asterisk. I cast spell to summon Aaron the Pedantic. <laughs> it actually worked. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but yes, yes, Mark Hawkman. Uh, anything else? Oh, this is just just one of those things where it's like I I mentioned on previous occasion that I'd uh, done a uh, mod for Space Empires Five, and as part of that, I'd. I spent a lot of time looking at the various forms of technology that various races in the Star Trek universe had used over the years. Sure. And how many races um, in the Star Trek universe are actually um, experienced enough with genetic engineering to 
create specific genetic changes to specific individuals? Um, the, the, the Federation, uh, Earth was one of them. They banned it though. Um, the, there was a race called the progenitors that actually seeded life. Uh, this is TNG canon and it's also in, uh, in Star Trek online mm -hmm. that actually seeded life throughout the galaxy that became Cardassian, Klingon, human, Bajoran, all that stuff they, they all come from, from the same people called the, the progenitors. And, and it's used as the explanation for why uh, humanoid races can all have the same basic form and function. Yeah. Yep. Well, the, there's actually been um, several um, episodes that where the, um, you know, alien of the week happened to have some sort of genetic engineering technology that was pretty scary. Yeah. I mean, uh, for, for example, um, uh, Bashir's uh, Dr. Julian Bashir's backstory was that when he was five, his his parents took him to another planet, I forget which race, to have him genetically engineered, which means that race has the ability to genetically engineer. And it was said in the episode, uh, uh, his, his physical abilities were upgraded, but specifically was targeted his mental capacity. That was specifically targeted. They, they so it made him super smart. Exactly. So that, that means that race had the ability to not only manipulate the, the genetic code of an alien species, but also target certain areas for specific augmentation. So not just humans, but this other race too, because in the Federation, it was illegal. So this, this was a race that was outside the Federation that, that Bashir's parents paid somehow. I don't know how, because Starfleet doesn't use money. So I don't know how they got how they got hold of money, I mean, but uh, somehow did that. And so other races do have targeted genetic manipulation capability, even to races beyond their own. They're, they're I mean, in, uh, in, 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 in Star Trek uh, Enterprise, uh, there, there, there was the whole uh, human, uh, human augmentation was tried, tried to convert to Klingon, but it failed. It was a failure. Well, it, it failed because of the fact that uh, it, it changed the uh, neurochemistry in ways that were unproductive for augmentation. And they didn't really understand why it messed up the neurochemistry. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Indigo Dragon says, uh, I brought up the lore question because of a player that says that some things wouldn't happen in the game the GM is trying to run because of lore and tries to use that to overrule what the GM is doing. Okay, this is a player who needs to be given a smackdown. This is a player that the GM has given too much agency. This is a player that needs to needs to learn to stay in the lane. All right? The the game master creates the lore of the world. That's it. All right? Yes, the 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 but but this didn't happen in in TNG. Well, this is my role playing game based on TNG. It is not the TV show TNG. You are not on the Enterprise. Uh in 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 my universe there there is no warp factor speed limit because subspace is becoming weaker. Yeah, That's also canon, but I'm not using it. Hmm. Yeah, it's the, the same thing. It's also the thing too, where a player could just say, "Oh, we've never seen that before." It's like this is new. 
So it's it's like, and that can happen a lot when you're dealing with cultures like Klingons. We've never seen the Klingons do this before. It's like, yeah, we're doing something new. Yeah. And I think that can get into the just the rules lawyering side of just like, and it, it, you get that all the time with just track, whether it's games, new stuff, where you get people who are really hung up on what came right. before to the exclusion of other stuff. So, yeah, you are, you are going to have to, the, the only way to fix that is to school that player is to, uh, is to take that player aside and say, listen, this is, this is based on TNG or based on DS nine or, or based on enterprise or based on what, whatever, whatever lore you're, 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 whatever era you're basing it on, but it is in effect, my world. Mm -hmm. If, if, this part of the lore affects my storyline. I'm not going to use it mm -hmm. because it will become convoluted and it will be harder for everyone to achieve their tasks and goals. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff in TOS, especially that can get in the way of that. Oh yeah. A lot. If, if you're in the TOS era, there was a lot of inconsistencies in it's... writing in the fifties and sixties. You know, that's, that's just how it worked. You know, it's just yeah. the way it was like, so, apparently there's something I didn't know before. Spock actually has a family name. He, he it's not his name isn't just Spock, and Vulcans have multiple names. Yeah, it's only referenced in one episode and never dealt with at all since. So it, it's it. But if you have like a player character who's like, I'm going to insist on like this being my full name, it's like. Yeah, I mean, there's technicality there, but at the same time, it's inconsistent with how it was presented overall. So you can, it's just, this is a dance you have to play with all of these large extended universes of canon. And I'm always on the side of canon is what you need to have to tell a story and do so consistently, but it shouldn't get in the way right. of doing something good for your audience. So right. because you can always come up with creative solutions, just always move things on a little bit more. And you should never have that focused mindset. Like this is all there is, because once you do that, you should just stop writing that thing and do something else. Anyway, just want to go back to the thing I was talking about earlier for a second. Um, okay. Do you remember this race from early TNG called the Akamarians? Oh yeah, Akamarians. Yeah, they're they're um, they had the uh, warring factions that started doing raids on the Federation, and then there was this whole thing about wanting to bring them back and the like. The they're like lost like by a uh, Mad Max style group back into the home world. They had this whole negotiation process. I don't recall that at all. Okay. What, what was the most significant technological advancement that the Akamarian race had managed to achieve? Uh, no longer aging. They, they stopped the aging process. Yes. Someone, one of their, their assassin, you like the whole thing. Yeah. Their assassin, they've caught on like, oh, she's suspicious because they found her in a photograph looking exactly the same years on. And no oh, one's done it. Yeah, it's no one's done anything with that. And then there's also the whole thing of like, you could technically bring someone back to, you know, cure horrible diseases that someone picks up with a transporter or even death with a transporter. Like did, just go back to their old pattern. How did you to assassinate people though? Oh, just touching them, I think. Was it? Uh, she she had been um, exposed to some sort of virus that the virus had been specifically engineered so that it would only bond to the cells of people with certain specific genetic markers related to uh, established academic yeah. plants. 
So, so people descended from the progenitor of a certain clan could contract the virus. The thing is, that makes sense for a virus, though, because it does have to bind to a certain sequence in the DNA to be able to work. So if you just target a virus to look at genes that are specific to a certain cultural group, then you could get that to happen very easily. The whole not aging part, that's what the Akamarians did. And it's like, oh, you want to just do more of that because, yeah. Oh, oh, and uh, the the uh, Dominion and their whole thing of, of like, yeah, we're just going to uh, bioengineer the Vorta to, to be essentially unkillable with poison. Well, the the the, the whole the whole Dominion thing they 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 wanted to control the universe, and the the way they decided to do that was to create a servitor species that saw them yeah. as gods, and that was the way to go. And that's the way they went. They 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 needed ad administrator servants and warrior servants, and they they genetically engineered both of those. Uh, Crafty has a question for Duncan. Uh, do you the players ever buy threat from the GM to start the momentum train? Like, uh, yeah, you, you said that earlier that yes, uh, as uh, as a group, you have you have bought momentum with threat. Yeah, so we've done that a few times. It's usually when someone's on top of their game that they remember they can do that. Like I'm usually more conservative, so I'm not moving the thread around too much. But if you do that, if you really need momentum, it's really easy because it's basically it's like, okay, you're given the GM threat and they can use it, but they've got so much with a multiplayer game that you're it's basically drop in the bucket for the first few times you do it. You just don't want to do it all the time because they're just gonna make your life incredibly difficult consistently. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's is something we have used. And I think that again features into the risk return thing for the whole momentum uh threat mechanics where i think that's where star trek adventures does a real good job okay uh aaron says uh mar hockman's coming in a little quiet Ma, that's all that, that's that's common that that is common. yeah mar hockman is always quiet on this stream for some reason boost the mic gain but yeah it's <laughs> i don't know uh, his situation so i don't know but yeah he yeah. always comes out quiet I had to do like for my uh, condenser mic. I it, it was just naturally quiet, so I had to download special software that messes around with the Windows um, registry files for mic settings that allows me to boost it beyond 100%. Mm. So sometimes it does come down to the mic and just being really difficult to work with in that context. But I like this one because it's just plug and play. Yep. All right, Mark Hawkman, is there anything else? Yeah, uh, I'm just like wanting to like. To talk about the whole like concept of like you know like this is technically a thing that that's true in star trek lore but you know most of the times the star trek universe ignores the concept entirely <laughs> yeah 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 it, but uh a lot of times for the tv shows it comes down to drama yeah they, they make an excuse to do something for dramatic effect now the the way you explain that is instead of having it be world lore it is specific individual lore. Like they were able to do this because they are them. Like, yeah. you know, Riker was able to do this because Riker is a master of Aikido. And, you know, Dr. Crusher was able to do this because she's, she spent 10 years at Starfleet medical re, re researching this particular field of study. So she was able to do this in this amount of time, you know, you, the exceptional people make exceptional things. It doesn't mean everyone can do it. Oh, yeah. and in the case of Utah, it was actually mentioned in the episode that 
only the members of Utah's clan actually had the technology to use that life extension treatment. Oh yeah, that's gonna be the some clans didn't know. <laughs> and that's the thing is like if you have that, you're going to you have basically you've got immortality, you've got political power. You can start throwing that stuff around to basically get the entire universe to buy give you horrendous piles of money and power. So that's where it comes in as a sci-fi writing conceit where it's like, I've got something that will totally change the shape of the universe, but rather than running with it, you just like put it into a corner so it can never be used again. Because you just need a MacGuffin for that moment. And it's just, I like it when you do the integrative approach because then it just feels a little more, you get fewer of yeah. these weird, odd cases. And, and and at the end of the episode, they actually kind of sort of explained why no one else knew because one, only Utah's clan knew and they had apparently successfully kept the secret from getting exposed. And two, um, the way Utah was prevented from assassinating her final target we found out that the ex the treatment did more than just extend her lifespan. It meant that you couldn't stun her with phasers. Yes, that whole thing of just like, it just makes, yeah. And that again gets to where we're talking about with just. She got vaporized, got... so no one could even analyze her genetic sequence to figure out how it worked. <laughs> yeah, and that's just how drug works. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, she, she got Captain America cells. You know, that's all, she, she, she was a super soldier. Basically, she, she was enchanted by a wizard, and yeah, that's basically yeah. all you that, need that, to that, know. That was the equivalent. They they just needed it for that episode, and then they threw it away because they they wanted an idea for an episode. They used that, and they threw it away because they knew if that if it stuck around, it would burn the whole lore down. Yeah, I burn everything down. I want sci-fi that does that because then it's like you get a refresh. Like when you do something, like you do the next season. Okay, things are now completely different. The characters have to deal with that. And it's like, I want to see that. TNG actually had <laughs> it's usually bad though, where, where, where the writers did burn the lore down, and then everyone later ignored it. Yeah, because right remember, remember for the warp uh, factor limitation episode. Oh yeah, the the tech just got better eventually, and they just sort of like ease it off. Like we don't have to worry about that anymore. Our, our warp engines no longer destroy the fabric of reality. Ah, but but that, that that's the whole thing. It's like okay, okay, why exactly did that happen? Why is it that only the Federation ever had that problem? Why is it that only the Federation cared? <laughs> yeah, only the Federation gave a shit, and the only reason they found out, the only reason they found out about it, was because there was this one specific spot in space that on 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 this side was an was impassable bullshit. On this side was impassable bullshit. Between here and here were profitable trade routes, and there's a corridor between the impassable bullshit that ships went to and from constantly, more so than the entirety of the vastness of space put together. Yeah. This was a highway that was warped and warped and warped and warped and warped through all day long, so it was the one that broke first. Yeah. And there were and concerns then like they the long term that it was happening everywhere a little bit. That's when the Federation put in the speed limit. The Romans and the Cleons went, fuck you. But <laughs> yeah. In, in no. universe, it was never actually established that every design of warp drive had that flaw in the first place. No, no, no. Uh, in, in, in that episode, it said that conventional warp travel was the cause. Yeah. Now, uh, 
I don't know if it's alpha cannon or beta cannon, but uh, starships that have moving nacelles like Voyager supposedly either eliminate or mitigate that problem. Yeah, that might be beta cannon because I don't know if they talked about it, but I know like they never had to worry about it. Like they're not talking yeah, about that. Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. We, we like are going a little deep in the Star Trek lore here. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, but that's what happens. I mean, we've been talking about you get my uh, bark on. We're going to go into the deep, uh, deep end on this stuff. Yeah, so. we, we gotta, we gotta stop it. We, we gotta. Th this is, this is not about the role playing game anymore. This is about Star yeah, Trek so lore and, and how and how freaking geeky we all are. So, yeah. So, but I mean, if you get this problem with Star Trek lore and this uh, Star Trek RPG, it's basically it's like we're treating this like a new show. I mean, that's yeah. the way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. You have to. You have to. Um, you've. It's. It's your. It's your universe based on not a copy of the Star Trek universe. There you go. And that's yeah. And that's what we do. We'd get a bunch of Foundry authors on. Where we're all just doing that. So we are already bought into how flexible things can be. Right. All right, Mohawkman. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Nice to be here. All right. Talk to you later. Yeah, and I had to get up here because my landlord came by with uh, to install an air conditioner, which I absolutely need today. Okay, so we are actually going to end now because uh, um, there's it's probably going to be some, some loudness coming over there from uh, from Duncan's side. For oh no, I don't have anything on right now. It's just I will need it later today. Yeah, but... you will you will need it later. But uh, the the building process usually allowed. Uh, Charlotte has one more thing. Um, uh, does it look good? The new stuff. For oh, SLA Industries, I don't know what that is. Uh, no, I don't know what, I don't that, know what that is either. Okay, that's just that's just our chat talking to each other, which I love. I love that that we have enough. But uh, that is going to be it for today. Let's uh, let's go over to the uh, to the brand again. Just remember, if you want to talk to us, Discord's the best place. This is the link. If you see a different link, don't use it. Use this one. And if you find something interesting or stupid on Twitter and you want us to know about it, then, well, you can either tell us on Twitter or link it into Discord. And if you want to buy any of our cool swag cups, shirts, masks, uh, underwear, uh, bedding, <laughs> sheets, swear to God, we got underwear, uh, sheets, beddings, uh, showers, uh, shower curtains, we got it all. Legion of Myth, 100%. And if you want to see any of our old shows, that's on the right side. Legion Myth TV, Twitch, YouTube, Library, which is going away, but Odyssey will still be there because they're merging. So all that good stuff is happening. And I want to thank all of our subscribers, cheers, and backers. Really appreciate it. Everyone who donates, thank you very much. Uh, Bruce Lombardo, thank you very much. Crafty, thank you very much today. That was awesome. Uh, thank you to all of our Twitch followers and YouTube subscribers. Really appreciate having you here. And everyone here who contributed the conversation, I want to thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And Crafty is $500 to see Heathen Dog and Max dance in their branded undies. I, I don't, I don't want that. You don't want that. No one wants that. No one give money to that. That's no. Not... We could do. Do what I did. Find a new bit of swag to wear around your head. There you go. <laughs> there it is. Okay, so that is it. 
I want to thank everyone for coming by. Really appreciate it. Like I said, today was a short episode, but hey, you know what? Call your mom, call your dad, call your grandma. It is Easter. It's a holiday. Say hi. Tell them you love them. Take that opportunity today. Duncan, do you have any last words for the nice people out there? Uh, have fun, take it easy, and be a legionnaire. Outstanding.